You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. I'm JR. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Simon. And, oh, well, these emails I've had for the last two weeks, yeah. and I've forgotten to read them out on both the previous two podcasts. Can I, can I just say, without changing the subject, without changing the subject, but we won't, we won't lose track, it's a big piece of paper in front of us. It hasn't even been a subject yet. You've only, I've never only just noticed, or only just realised after you just said it, that we say names in alphabetical order. I just thought I was the least important all the way through. Oh my god, we've been doing this for four years almost, and I you didn't realise it was alphabetical. I thought it was a ranking. <laughs> well, the, the funny thing is... If it's that... a ranking, does that mean I come second already? Yes. Yeah, well, this I've is what I'm thinking, yeah. Podcast, yeah, the relief is incredible. Put this is, well, this is only because um, Lee let us know earlier today that he couldn't make it. So I've called in... I called in the A team. But I'm filling these holes. No, no. I called in the A team. But Andy, of course, Andy. It was too short notice for him, so he couldn't make it. So we came round to yours in the end anyway, Simon. I was gonna blow you off. I was going to blow you off and go round to Matt's with Andy. <laughs> There's a ringtone. Oh my god, this is this is what they describe on Radio Free Sky as inside baseball. Is that right? See, I always thought inside baseball was like a euphemism. This is showing you how the sausages are made, basically. Hmm. Oh, speaking of Radio Free Sky, just like to say an early happy birthday to Stephen. Ah, uh, come on, then, guys. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Let's sing the song. I don't I'm give not, them royalties. No, I don't, I'm not in tune. <clears throat> Dear and the boys and JR, motorcycle emptiness, and for anybody who's not been taking notes, this refers to an email. This this email refers back to a podcast we did before Christmas. Yeah. Motorcycle emptiness was taken from Generation Terrorists, the Manic Street Preacher's first album. Designed for life which is an awful, awful album, was actually their fourth. Their best album... It's not an awful album, but anyway, yes. Shut up. Their best album was their third, The Holy Bible, by a Welsh mile. You know, in my head. Stay beautiful, and all the very best for 2016. Yours, living in the pastly, Al. As in Al No. Oh, okay. So he's picking me up on... It's not a crime to be poppy. It's not a crime to write pop songs, which is what Design for Life is. It's a and collection it's, of pop songs. And it's also not a crime not to know enough about the Manic Street Preachers to get their songs in order. Their fans are, I'm not going to use the word obsessive, but they are you know, people who love Manics, really love Manics. There's a big gap between, there's people who quite like them, like me. I doubt, I don't know them at all. No. I remember seeing them on top of the Pops, and the lead singer looked a bit lardy. 
it didn't look like a sort of a like a he's not generation a, terrorist. He's not the kind of Pete Doherty yeah. type. He just looked fairly well fed. And I don't know why that put me off. Yeah. I, I that is because for the past ten years he's been eating for two. Because his, the other the other guy had disappeared. Yeah, that was probably they were joke pretty arrogant in their early days, weren't they? I mean, I remember an interview they were saying, "Oh, we're the new Clash," and I thought, "How bloody rude!" Because you're nowhere near. Well, no more than Sig Sig Sputnik. I like Sig Sig Sputnik. More than still going. There's a, there's a generational thing here. I, I don't know who they are. He him. Matt she is pretending them. to be younger than us, but I will tweet out a picture of the three of us recording this podcast if we take one, which we won't, which will demonstrate... No, I'm definitely younger than you, Jail. Well, you may think that, but the camera never lies. If if you're the same age as me, you've had a really hard life. I've just invited you along to our podcast. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm really pleased to be here. <laughs> Gerard Gray says, Hello, Blue Box Podcast. Another year is nearly over. See, that's how long we've had these emails sitting around in my pocket and forgetting to read them out every week. Another year is nearly over, but it's been a great one for Doctor Who with another memorable series and many classic episodes. My favourite episodes this year have been the Zygon two-parter and the series finale two-parter. My favourite Capaldi scene was the wonderful speech he gave in the Zygon inversion. Thank you, J.R., Lee, Mark and Simon for great podcasts as always this year. No mention of you there, Matt. This was written before I was on the podcast. That's true. He does say this year, <laughs> yeah, in fact, doesn't he? Retconning, One of my favourites was with Andy Robinson talking about his short film Seasons of War, for which I can only apologise, Gerard. He could have been here tonight with us now, but you, <laughs> unfortunately, have got Simon instead. Although, as he named Simon in the email, which I don't know if you've noticed, but he wrote our full names in alphabetical Yeah, order. yeah, it must be a, like a, an well, OCD thing. Like, thing with... Well, it might just be that we've been introducing ourselves in that order for the last four years. Yeah. And yeah. it's probably just noticed. A bit like Trumpton, Fire so of Grade. When yeah. Andy was on, did he introduce himself first? No, because he was a guest. It's a very fair point. In fact, it's a very good point. Oh, well, there's a dichotomy between host and guest. The hosts introduce themselves in order. The guests have to be introduced separately so that you can give them an introduction. So you always have to be on top. With your guests underneath you. I find that if Lee, Simon and Mark are in the room, let alone anybody else, it does me a great service to be on top. Okay. Uh, it rises. <laughs> One of my favourites was Andy Robinson talking about his short film, Seasons of War, a great film for a great cause. Hope you all have a great Christmas. Talk to you next year. Thanks, Gerard. We had an excellent Christmas, did we? Yeah, pretty good Christmas, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if I mentioned last podcast, I got bought more Star Wars stuff than Doctor Who stuff. Yeah, you it? mentioned it. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, no need to mention it again. Brilliant. No, I won't. I'll mention okay. it next week. Well, yeah. I, got, I, got I can't remember very... if you did or not. I think you did. I think I probably did. I got a very small amount of Doctor Who stuff and no Star Wars stuff. Mm. But then mm. I didn't ask for any. So, Well, that's fair enough. The Doctor Who stuff was gutsy. The Star Wars stuff was very frivolous, which is kind of a there right isn't it really which is how What's, it should be what Star Wars stuff did you get I got stuff like uh, wallets and okay. uh, novelty okay. key rings and um, so adult Star Wars stuff you didn't get yeah. the Millennium Falcon Lego set or no, something really no, exciting no, that, uh, no. yeah but face it if somebody's going to walk into a shop 
and they're going to say, oh, God, got to get Simon a present. Simon, bloody hell, Simon. What should we get him? He likes Star Wars, doesn't he? Now, what are they going to do? Are they going to get you a key ring, or are they going to splash out 150 quid on a Millennium Falcon? They're not going to sp- splash out 150 quid on anything for me. So there you me. go. They're going to get you a key yeah. ring. I'm not complaining. I'm just oh, saying. It sounded to me like you were. Yeah, I, think, I think I'd complain if I were you. If I got that, I'd be asking where's my Lego Millennium Falcon. Dear Aunt Julie, loved the key ring a little bit. Would have loved it's the like, Millennium Falcon. Actually, of all the things, the key, look, there's a TIE fighter behind you. Oh, a little, Ooh, look, that's nice. a Micro Machines TIE fighter. Yeah, I've Ooh. got the Micro Machines TIE fighter up. It's still in the packet. Are you going to keep it in the packet? I don't know. Probably not. Oh, it's got a little stand. I was trying to work out what that was. No, it it goes around your finger, so you can fly it around the room on your finger. (laughs) Wait. It's like finger bobs for adults. When you say it goes around your finger, does it mean that You see the little stand there, and then there's a loop on the bottom of it, and it goes around on your finger. Does it vibrate? Oh, my sweet Lord. Four plus, it says. (laughs) It is tiny. I mean, it's nice. I fit my little finger. I'd be upset with that. Or something else. I'd be wanting to put things in it. So I'd be upset with that. Oh, I mean, it's sweet, but you don't really want to tie fighters. I take it they will, all, the sh- all the new ships are black because they should be black if they're fighters in space. Does that make sense? Is it yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Oh. Or they should be invisible. Yeah. Or they should have no oxygen. They shouldn't be making a noise for a start. Dear JJ Abrams. <laughs> yeah. Dear George <laughs> Lucas. Right. Anyway, dot <clears throat> two. Anyway, nice to have you back, Matt. It's my pleasure. We, were, I, I did. People won't know this, but here's some more inside baseball. Both Andy and Matt, after their appearances on the podcast, I invited them to become regular substitutes. Yeah, is that the best way of describing it? Yeah, B list. I wasn't expecting you to use you so early. <laughs> That's fine. I'm happy. I have no social life, so I noticed that when I said you're free tonight, and you said I'm free right now, Jr. Anything for you? I said. <laughs> I said I'm free. I think I don't think I. I don't think I. Oh, did I just it. read the rest of that into it? Okay. JR's dream. Next week we're getting into 2016, but at the moment we got a bit of the post-Christmas blues with nothing really lined up, so we've got no real subject for tonight's podcast. Hmm. So that being the case, I have brought, and you both guessed it. Oh no. <laughs> I love quizzes. You go and get me a pen, can you please, Simon? Thanks. I've just fished out a copy of the Doctor Who quiz book. I should I should say now that I'm Thanks, slightly Simon. slightly unpleasantly competitive. <laughs> well, and I okay. have long legs, which you know I will kick people just to distract. I'm hard pressed to remember my children's names. Right, we're going to do this in reverse alphabetical order. So. Oh. There you go. And we're going to have two rounds. One now and one later. And then we'll uh, see who's the champion of... And this quiz book, it's the Target quiz book from 1981, so it only goes up to the fourth Doctor. Wow. I think there's ten questions. Simon, you're going first. I'm going to go to the contents page. (laughs) And I'm going to randomly pick out two subjects. One person's dream can be another person's nightmare. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, I'll randomly pick out two subjects, and you can choose which one of the two subjects. Right? I'm very glad our listeners tend to be quite forgiving, in, in as much as I can imagine other podcast listeners would be uh, 
If I don't know enough, then what the hell am I doing on this podcast? You guys did a regular oh. three star uh, quiz, didn't you? It was a, it was a big pod. Three. Oh, no, I did three, pod but you did two. Yeah. How did we you did do on that? Did you do all right on that? Um, we did all right. I yeah, we were, I think okay. we did three Radio Free Scarra versus Blue Box. Right. Then we, I had a team from UK. Yeah. UK. Three different people you, from three different podcasts. <laughs> You're on the UK Championships. UK no, well, I was hosting. I was hosting all <laughs> okay. the time, so I wasn't answering anything. I had a team from the UK versus a team from overseas. So I think it was three guys from three different UK podcasts right. versus three people from podcasts from different countries. So I think Erica from Verity and Mark from um, Forty Two Doomsday and can't for the life of me think who the third one was. Well, that's Australia and Canada. Yeah, so probably an American. Yeah, yeah, I can't think who it was. That's oh, awful, isn't it? Somebody at the moment, if they're still listening to this podcast, is screaming at the headphones. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had. Was it Blue Box versus Diddley Dumb or mm. something like that? Did something like that, didn't it? Or Radio Free Scarra versus Diddley... I can't remember. This is very boring for the listener. It's I'm going to... Okay. <laughs> so much hope for the quiz. Okay, Simon, you can have the Earth in Danger or the Time Lords. Time Lords. Okay, so that's page 45. Wrong uh, choice. Well, it might turn out to be the wrong choice. I'm going to be rubbish at this. Okay, so 15 questions. Jesus, I wasn't expecting it to be that many. I might just do the first 10. We'll see how it goes. Oh, God. Uh, I need to find the answers as well. Just a point of order. If Simon doesn't get it, do you throw it open to... No. Okay. (laughs) All right, I've got it. Here we go, then. All right, Simon, you ready for this? No. All right. Who is the legendary founder of Time Lord Civilization? Rassilon. Okay, so that's I won't, one. I won't even do a, a boring Egghead's elaboration and say, well, it could be such and such. You, said, you just did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Bloody hell. Well, you don't have to with the next one. Okay, question two for Simon. What incident prompted the Time Lords to adopt their policy of non-interference in the affairs of other races? Oh, Oh. I don't think you'll get this, to be honest. Oh, no, in which case I won't waste your time. Oh. You may get it, if you think about it. It's got to be from the first four doctors. What occurrence? Mm-hmm. Non-interference. I mean, I'll give it to you if you're in the general area. I'm not going to... And I'll say with you, I'm not going to prompt you for specifics. Is it doc- the Doctor's Escape? I don't know. No, it was the Minyans' destruction of Minyos. Oh. The Time Lords had helped the Minyans oh. to achieve nuclear capability. Oh. So that's from Underworld. Oh, do you know what? I've been building up to watching that <laughs> <laughs> for about three years. I've watched oh, wow. it once. It's really not bad. I like it. It's I don't right. dislike it at all. I think it's I remember fun. liking the book. It's got some... It's got some... iffy special effects... But then, on modern tellies, pretty much all special effects from back then look iffy. Because, mm. you know, you're watching it on a screen that's twice as big with twice the definition. But, but probably the new Hobbit movies in high definition look iffy. So, But to be honest with you, Underworld, it's Bob Baker and Dave Martin. Mm. So although the script is absolutely balmy, by the same token, it's quite good fun. It's got silly robots and things in it's got a great first episode. People regenerate. 
Yeah, and all the really good characters from the first episode pretty much sidelined for the rest of the story. So get to the end of the first episode and stop. Question three. The Time Lords found the Warlord guilty of terrible crimes and sentenced him to dematerialization. What did they do with to the Warlord's home planet? God, I love this story. Why don't I remember? Yeah, I wouldn't know either. <laughs> I'm getting slightly worried about this quiz. Yeah. Is this Peter Haining? No, it's... Um, what's his face, isn't it? Oh, it's oh, Nigel, Nigel Robinson. Robinson. Did they banish it to another dimension? They surrounded it with a force field. Oh, OK. I wouldn't get any of well, this. This is a learning process, if nothing else. Well, a question four you might get. Yeah. Who was the first of Gallifrey's solar engineers who detonated the supernova which gave the Time Lords the ability to conquer time? Omega. Mm. You could have prevaricated a bit since I was sipping, but yes, Omega it was. Question five. What is the Eye of Harmony and where is it to be found? Bearing in mind this was oh, 1981, okay. so we're not looking at the TV movie. So the Eye of Harmony was the... Was the black hole that powers all TARDISes, isn't it? And where was it? Where was it? God, I can't remember. What story was it in? Three Doctors, wasn't it? No, okay. Deadly Assassin. Oh, go on. Yeah. Well, it's the energy source, which is the foundation of Time Lord civilization, mm. and it is located underneath the Panopticon in the capital. Okay. It's where Deadly Assassin finishes, doesn't it? With the floor opening up and the master falling course, into and it. And then in the movie. Mm -hmm. I don't want really sure we can really give you that. Cause no, no, it's don't. quite close don't. enough. I'm just happy to have a couple of points. I'm really. To be honest with you, I've just read the next question as well. I suspect that you might not have more than three or four, even when we've been through all 15. <laughs> but then the same will be true for Matt, and the same will be true for yeah. me. So by oh, the end of the evening, if nothing else, this is going to be fun for the listeners, right? <laughs> and I, I hope. Am, I am much younger than you guys, so I can't remember some of these stories. I wasn't there. Hang when... on a second. <laughs> I'm much younger than you guys, so my memory's still intact. That's very yeah. true. That's true. true. I can't. I get up in the morning. Oh, I arrived at work half an hour early today because I forgot what day it was. <laughs> I got up and thought, oh, I've got to be there at X because it's Friday. And of course, it wasn't Friday, so I basically walked into a deserted office. <laughs> but then I made a cup of tea, so. Okay, question six. Name the traitorous Time Lord who helped both the Vardens and the Sontarans when they invaded Gallifrey. Oh, God. <laughs> you say it, and I will. It will come back to me. No, he plays him. Yeah, um, yeah. Shall I just say it? Yeah, I can see his face. Yeah, Castellan Kellner. Oh, maybe I wouldn't have got it actually. Yeah. Question seven: How many regenerations can a Time Lord have before he dies of old age? Well, very good. That's three. <laughs> Question eight: Why did Omega swear revenge upon the Time Lords? Because they abandoned him. Oh, you've even got the exact words he uses. He gives more of an explanation, but that's close enough. Because he believed that his fellow Time Lords had abandoned him after he had detonated the star which enabled the Time Lords to travel through time. They didn't know he'd survived, did they? In fact, the Time Lords thought that he had died in the explosion and honoured him as one of their greatest heroes. So yes, I'm giving you a point for that, for sure. Thank you very much. Well, oh. That's the dog trying to get in. Uh, Go away. Not even the dog trying to get in. It's 
the dog giving up and going away just because she yes. said go away. That's mm-hmm. pretty impressive. It's pretty good. Okay. The dog gets around if the dog if the dog does come in. <laughs> oh, here you go. This is an interesting one. This will make you think. The Time Lord sent the Doctor to Scaro at the time of the Dalek's creation and entrusted him with the task of fulfilling one of three options concerning the future development of oh, the Daleks. God. Right. What were those three options? Kill Davros. <laughs> Did you just growl? Yeah, um, I'm not surprised. The three options. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Do you want me to just say them? Go on, then. Oh, my God, Simon. That's pathetic. Although, having said that, looking at well, them, I wouldn't have gone mad. You didn't know all three? <laughs> um, avert, uh, change their development, so alter their development, so they evolved to be less aggressive creatures is one. Okay. Destroy them. Yes. Would be a second one. Um, <laughs> and there's the third one as well, which is... <laughs> Introducing rabbits to Scaro, like they did with Australia. <laughs> the third <laughs> and one. Changing the ecosystem. The third one is, is actually, according to this, find an inherent weakness oh, that can be okay. used against yeah. them in the future. Yeah, which is, I would have got there. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, you would. Too much pressure. Things. Yeah, uh, you would. The brain is just not working. <laughs> Where are we? Question 10. Why did the Time Lord sentence Morbius to death? Oh my god, I've lost the answers. I know, I found them. That's all right. Oh, this is just Why did the pathetic. Time Lord sentence Morbius to death? Yeah, but this is one of those things. It's like when I do a quiz, I'll ask questions that are deliberately tailored towards yeah. the kind of people I'm asking questions of. Mm. Whereas this is all about the fiction, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's to be honest, it's all about the sort of knickknacks of the fiction that are the. It is, but I'm surprised I picked up on it because I like the the chronology, I like, I like the history of it. So I'm not doing very well in that respect. You should well, have what would he have Earth done? In danger. What would he have done? What would he have done? Did he tax evasion? Shag Bruce's missus. <laughs> Apparently it was, and this is one of those answers that is so general, it can only have been written by Terry Nation. And yet, in fact, that's from a story that was written by Robert Holmes. For his part in leading an army in an attempt to conquer the galaxy. Okay, we're going for the 15 though, why not? Who is Cardinal Barusa? Who is he? Yeah. Well, he's a time lord. <laughs> yeah. He's got to be a lot more specific than that. Although I'll give it to you if Cardinal. you get a bit more specific than that. His relationship to the Doctor, maybe? Is that what they're after? Wasn't He was his, um, his teacher, wasn't he? Yeah, that's one of the things. There's like three or four more. <laughs> But, I mean, the leader of the Pridonian chapter of Time Lords and a former teacher of the Doctor at the Academy. When the Doctor returned to Gallifrey to stop the Varden Santaran invasion, Barusa was both Chancellor and acting President of the Time Lords. First class snooker player. I think you get a half for that, (laughs) seeing as Matt prompted it. Do you think he really deserves it? Well, if you give half to Simon, give half to me. That's what I would do. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. You prompted it, but he... Yeah, okay, you've got half each. (laughs) <laughs> and I said there'd be no handovers during oh, this. Oh dear. Well, yeah, but you prompted me. I mean, I'm, yeah. Nah. I can't. Nah. I can't turn down. If I'm asked something, I have to. It's polite, isn't it? Well, I didn't ask you. I asked him. Yes, but then you turned to me and. 
Well, I need to tell you to shut up. Um, Question 12. When the Time Lord sent the third Doctor, his two previous incarnations, to assist him in his battle with Omega, why was the first Doctor only able to help in an advisory capacity? Because they were on reduced power. Oh, nice. Yeah. I was just about to say, anything about William Hartnell's health would be discounted in the answer. Question 13. Okay. Question 13. What is the matrix? I want this word for word. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> no, it's essentially the uh, the stored memories of all previous Time Lords. It's basically a database. Yeah. I think I'll give you the point. The mem- memories, experiences of and knowledge. Mm. Uh, but, okay, but also it goes into what's it for. What's it for? Yeah. This does come up in the series. This does come up in the series occasionally. Yeah. I wrote my... um, Did did either of you ever listen to Pieces of Eight? Yes, I did. That was what that was based on. What's the Matrix for? It was brought up in Hell Bent as well. Yeah, it was. I bet what it was for. Yeah. I'll give you the point. I mean, mean, let's face it, that was a stupidly easy question. I'll be just as kind with you, Matt. Okay. Thank you, Joe. What is it for? For predicting the future, basically. Okay. okay. So, wait, well, it says oh, it's used the by the Time Lords to monitor life in the capital and to predict future events. It's how they were able to beam the President's assassination to the Doctor's brain in The Deadly Assassin. So he reached into the Matrix, grabbed that future event, mm. and then did a whizzy thing. And see, Pieces of Eight, the twist at the end was that the Matrix is... Gathering, You're spoiling your own story. Well, if anybody listening to this podcast hasn't heard it, they're not going to listen to it now, unless I spoiler it and they say, "Oh, that sounds interesting," and go out and listen to it. Mm. it at the end, it turns out the Matrix has tracked down the Doctor so they can take gather information about his personality because he's the only Time Lord who goes out and fights. So, with the Time Lord, Time War time on war. the horizon, yeah. Yeah, they need that. to um, find out what it is to fight so that they can imprint that on all the other Time Lords Hmm. Um, 14 Gallifrey is protected from alien invasion by the transduction barriers oh I've just remembered I played the Matrix in that didn't I (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah oh my god I'm blushing now (laughs) Gallifrey is protected from alien invasion by the transduction barriers and the quantum force field who created the quantum force field? Make a guess. There's only like three people it could possibly be in there. If you're clever, you'll get it right. <laughs> well, there you go. God almighty, I've never not enjoyed a podcast so much in my life. Um, but don't worry, because there's only one more question before you start really enjoying it, and Matt will start squirming. Oh, no, yeah, he's going to do it so much better. Um... <clears throat> three. When I say if you're clever, you'll work it out. Well, I wouldn't if, have worked if, it out. If anyone's but... going to be doing it, it's Rassilon. Hey! I would have got that wrong. What would you have said? I'd have said Omega. Oh, it says Rassilon. It would be one of the two. Oh, here you go. And bearing in mind this book came out in 1981, so there'll be no Rani. No. Although, to be fair, given that I'm asking this question in 2016, if you'd have said the Rani, I should give it you. 
The Doctor has often had to fight against renegade Time Lords. Name three of them who had appeared in the series by 1981. Time Meddler? Mm-hmm. Morbius? Uh-huh. And, um... Omega. Yeah, okay. That'll do. Yeah. You could have also had the Master. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> the War Chief. Yes. And, uh... See, it says Renegade Time Lords, I suppose that's true. Chancellor Goth and Castellan Kellner, who I suppose were both renegades on their own planet. Who's the guy in, um... Who's the little guy? Trax? Yeah. But he wouldn't... The doctor was he class as a renegade? Him. No, I don't think he was. Anyway. <laughs> At the end of that round, you've scored eight and a half points. Okay. Congratulations. Eight and a half, that's good. Oh, there's an introduction in here from John Nathan Turner. Do we want to know what he said? <laughs> he said... <clears throat> I've got to try and do this his impressionation now, haven't This I? isn't the bit where he talks about the Barkers, is it? He says, How many times did the second Doctor yell, When I say run, run! What quantity of jelly babies did the fourth Doctor consume? How often did the third Doctor say, Reverse the polarity of the neutron flow. And why does the fifth doctor wear celery in his frock coat lapel? These are just four of the questions and answers that do not appear in this book. How long would I have to produce this programme before the BBC let me go? Um, <laughs> All these questions. Nevertheless, I strongly recommend this fascinating volume... Which, as the producer of Doctor Who, I shall find a useful addition to the reference section of the office library. Having watched Doctor Who on and off since it began, and having been closely connected with the programme for five years, I didn't realise how much I'd forgotten. A joy to peruse. And that's John Nathan Turner. Brilliant. He gave Crocodile Dundee a run for his money. That's not the only... No. So are you asking me questions now? Uh, yes, but I'm, I'm going to give you two... I'm probably going to have to take my glasses off with this. Really? Can you see the thing? Pardon? No, it's just the, the concentration. putting them off. Because then I can do this and pinch my nose whilst I'm thinking about the answers. And it helps. I've got to tell you, listeners, it ain't his nose he's pinching. <laughs> okay, you can choose from... Uh, oh, The Key to Time... Or Companions of the Doctor. I'd go for Companions. Oh, okay, that's 18. Is that, is that too easy? I or don't do know. I, just, well, I, I assume... Potentially, there are more Companions than Time Lord stories, than Gallifrey stories. Yeah. So it could be... I'm a bit screwed if they ask me if very it's really detailed specific questions about, about Dodo. If it's really specific about the Companions, <clears> that's <throat> one thing. But let's face it, we experience more of the Companions, I suppose. That's Ooh. true. Okay, here you go, Matt. Okay. Your 15 questions starting now. Question one. Only one, no, only two of the Doctor's companions entered the TARDIS for the first time with the sole intention of making an emergency phone call. Name one of them. Dodo. Hey. Was Tegan the other one? Yeah. It was. The other one. Very good. What is Romana's full name? Romana de Vadnor. Trilunda. Well, that's close enough. That's almost... That's one of those things I read in the Target books, and you never Stuck know how to, how to say, say it. it. No, no. You just sort of 
You just learn it when you. Yeah. I've always said it Romanid Verat La Runda. But then when I watched close. the Rebos that's operation. to Tom Baker. Is it? Yeah. I think they've said it two different ways in the programme. Then Tom Baker said Chameleon instead of Chameleon, which I've never quite. It sort of ruins. Mm. <laughs> ruins. Um, <laughs> the reason I'm writing not. is how to say Chameleon. Yeah. <laughs> and right, it was, it puts it, the sham into Chameleon. It was a cliffhanger. It was a brilliant cliffhanger and he just. Stuffed why, it why out. Where did he go? It was like an actor just saying. I think it would be more interesting if I if I divert from English here and just say chameleon. Well, he'd obviously never heard the word, had he? Chameleon? He obviously never had. Okay. Well, I, I would have thought so. I mean, that's usually the reason. We've always said on this podcast about words that you've seen written down that you've never actually heard. I can only imagine that if he'd heard the word chameleon, he didn't realise that he was saying the same word. But somebody in that room should have told him should have said actually tom unless they were too frightened and just thought he was that's it because he's a really erudite he's the 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 star they're probably all thinking have i been saying it wrong all these years (laughs) mind you i only found out this week that i've been i've been telling people off for saying zebra saying that's the wrong way zebra but apparently zebra is technically the right Mm. all the real wildlife bots like chris packham and people like that all call it zebra Yeah, I think that's a potato-potato thing anyway. But yeah. Because it's called zebra in there. Anyway, should I we ask Matt I don't think it's it? ever potato. No, I don't think it is. <laughs> I, did, sorry, I did go to a... Uh, <laughs> tomato, tomato, yeah. But potato-potato is... I did yeah. go to a pub once where the lady there thought it was a little bit higher class than she thought, and she said, this special today is broccoli soup. Oh. There was somebody at university that said lasagna instead of lasagna. And he said it unfortunately in his first year, and for three years we wouldn't let him, we wouldn't let it lie. Nice. We just constantly reminded him, almost on a daily basis. He left. He left. It was very sad. Wow. Uh, okay, which of the Doctor's companions was attacked by a giant rat in the sewers of London? I don't even need to look that up. But it's I, Leela. I am checking these to make sure he's got them right as well. You know. That admittedly that was easier than. Some of your <laughs> I'm glad you say that. I have yeah. to arms folded. I'll be, I'll be fair about this. I am yeah. looking at these, and they are Mind you, considerably Matt easier than so ones that. Would it, if they, if they, if you yeah, think, but one of you in a minute is going to ask me. So if you think they're easier, do you want a different? Give me a different category. No, 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 no. no. Okay. Go for it. Okay. Hey, that's the way the penny dropped. Okay, okay. It's all about the taking part, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> After all, when we reconvene to do a second round later in the podcast, it might be the other way around. This is, I quote, Simon's least fun ever doing a podcast, which is is the second one I've done. I'm not entirely sure we're going to get to another round, because we've been doing this for about half an hour already. Going back to school and being picked for the team. Jesus, we've been going for like nearly 35 minutes, and we're only... Halfway through Matt's first round, not even halfway through. Okay, question well, four. Let's, let's speed it you should pity the listener. Okay, come on, fire, fire. My other surprise, we're not going to get time to do it. Crack on then. Okay, cracking on. After the master, question four, had murdered her father, how did Nissa's? How did Nissa journey to Legopolis to join the Doctor and Adric? Oh, the the master picked her up and took her and brought her to Legopolis. Oh, basically, it was the Watcher. The Watcher. Oh, okay. Matt. I thought she. Had, I thought she was with the Master, and she had a bracelet from the Master, and they turned up in the TARDIS. It was the Watcher. the Watcher. I thought the Watcher turned up with. Her. Okay, I'm not arguing. With... Go on. I don't <laughs> want to ask her. What did he bloody? What did he sound like? Did he sound like the Doctor? The I, I think they could have done more with that. Yeah, oh, they could have done so much more with that. They could hardly have done less. 
I like the fact they did um, the amount they did. I like them. Mm. I remember it as a child, and it scared me that. and amazed oh. me. Oh, look, Doctor, there's somebody on a bridge. Who is this? It's the future, Adric. In what way do you mean it's the future, Doctor? What I mean is that they're going to get to a point in this story where they're going to realise that they're going to want to bring in a companion from an entirely different story, set on an entirely different planet in an entirely different time zone. But there's no actual way to do that in the course of the story. So they're going to take this what nebulous he... thing that's on the bridge and send him off in the TARDIS to fetch her. That, that bit. Oh, is that what you did? Furious. <laughs> that, I liked the Watcher. I liked the Watcher. Uh, yeah, I like the idea of it. Yeah. So he borrowed the TARDIS and went and got her. Yeah. He knew how to fly it. Well, he was a doctor all the time. <laughs> a version of the doctor yeah. who knew how to fly the TARDIS. Okay. Right. I'll tell you what, I'm going to read this question okay. in French in the hope of putting you off from getting the correct answer. Okay. Uh, question five. Which of the companions did the doctor meet at Culloden in 1746? Zutalor. Uh, Jamie. McCrimmon. Oh, damn it. Jamie. I didn't realise you spoke French. <laughs> I'm bilingual. Which is more than you can say from me. <laughs> Question six. Oh. <laughs> if this ain't a euphemism, I don't know what is. Which of the Doctor's companions married a Welsh Nobel Prize winner and accompanied him <laughs> on a journey down the Amazon? <laughs> Joe Grant. Sweet Jesus, this is dreadful, isn't it? Sorry about this, Simon. <laughs> Sorry, Simon. No, it's fine. I, by rights, I should. <clears throat> oh, here's, here's one. You probably get this, but you may not. Okay. Question seven. For which magazine did Sarah Jane Smith do most of her writing? Uh, ooh. Um, uh. Is it like... That's the, Superman has the Daily Planet. Would you have got this, Simon? It's not I wouldn't have remembered. Um, no. Um... I don't think I can remember. Oh, God, I can't remember. Metropolitan. Metropolitan. You're so close. I said you were, yeah, I did you? say yeah. cosmopolitan. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you may not get this one either. Okay. Oh, see, now it's getting more interesting. Okay. Question. In the adventure Planet of the Daleks, this is question eight, who offered Joe Grant the opportunity to start a new life on which alien planet? <laughs> oh, so that's well, a two-part question. The, the alien planet would be, I mean, it was set on Spiridon. So I'm guessing Spiridon or Scaro. <laughs> Spiridon or Scaro. And it was um, <laughs> it was a Terranation script, so it could have been Tarrant or maybe Latep. Latep. Are you going to decide on a planet? Then? Latep oh, correct on Good both counts. Really, was Brilliant. it Latep? Yeah, it was Latep and it was Scaro. An anagram of Good answer. An anagram of Petal. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> Nine. Oh my god, this one's going to be so easy now. Might not have been quite as easy when this book came out. Which school on earth did Susan, the doctor's granddaughter, attend? Cold Hill. Alright. Ten. Which of the doctor's companions was an extremely competent astrophysicist, but when the doctor met her, was working as a librarian? Um. Ooh, good question. Zoe Harriet? Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, eleven. On which planet did the Doctor and his companions meet Stephen? Uh, Mechanus. Yeah. <laughs> That's when we have to sort of mentally do the. Well, I thought, I, I, yeah, but also because 
Yeah, I was getting confused because <laughs> they they sort of met someone who looked very like him on the top of the Empire State Building. But Just then, a little bit. But yeah, not the same character. Oh, question twelve: Who did Victoria stay with when she finally left the Doctor? Oh, um, the <clears throat> family in Fury from the Deep. Um, the uh, I wouldn't say Brown, but that's Paddington Bear. <laughs> it's very much like Paddington Bear. Uh, the 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 bad. Uh, I don't know. It begins with B. Harris. And I knew it began with H. <laughs> the Harris family. Question 13. Which of the companions of the Doctor was a sailor who had been assigned a six-month shore posting when he met the Time Lord? Uh, so that's Ben Jackson. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, when she regenerated, Romana took on the likeness of which alien princess? Princess Astra? Yes. Yeah? Of Atrios, or Atrios. Is it Atrios or Astrios? Now we're doing Atrios. it. Atrios. It is like a, a type of conservatory. Yeah, it does. So maybe it is Atrios. She's <laughs> got then... a name like a voxel. <laughs> well, then Atrios sounds like yeah. when things aren't quite working out. Uh, 15. Which of the Doctor's companions chose to stay behind with the fleeing Trojans oh, um, after the destruction of their city and changed her name to Cressida? She's dooming herself to certain death with Vicky. It was... Jesus. So, excellent. at oh, the end of that, you've got 12 and your half from previous. Right, which of you wants to do this for me? I don't mind. Shall I do it? Yeah, go, go ahead. Right, just go to the front. Yeah. And give me, uh, in the contents page, but avoid all the, what ones was I avoiding? I was avoiding Adventures of the First, Adventures okay. of the Second, and so on like that. Okay, so do you want, uh, where well, you could have the key to time, or the Earth in Danger? I'll have the Earth in Danger then, please. Okay, bear with me while I find that. Right, you also need to look it up in the answer so you can yes. find the... Yeah. No, the answer... Yeah, oh. I'm, I'm ahead of you. I'm on it. <coughs> okay. Excuse me. <laughs> okay, so qu question one. Which alien creatures launched an attack on London through its sewers? Oh, that's got to be the Cybermen? Yes. Okay. See, that could have been the Yeti, but no, yeah, that's the underground. Yeti. Yeah, I was going to say Yeti, but no. good job I stopped myself, eh? Mm. Okay, question two. How did the Ice Warriors plan to alter Earth's atmosphere before their planned invasion of the planet in the 21st century? Foam. The answer obviously isn't foam, though. When they're going to cover the Earth's surface in a kind of foam? I don't know, this is... Am I, You're looking at me for answers. I'm thinking of the wrong it story. It could be something to do with their intolerance to heat, possibly. But oh yeah, I've got it wrong. So you better say what the answer they give is. Well, yeah, foam, foam is close. With the help of a fungal growth or a fungus growth. Well, that like was the athlete, foam with athlete's wasn't it? foot, <laughs> which absorbed Earth's oxygen, so turning Earth into a planet more suitable for the ice warriors. Oh, I think I got that right. Ish. <laughs> you said you said foam, which isn't included in the answer. Okay. I think absorbing the Earth's oxygen is a key part of their strategy. Oh, he's not being to... as kind with me as I was with you. Well, you can no, have no, half, no, you can no, have no, half no. a point. <clears throat> See, at the end, I couldn't even. I wasn't even sure <laughs> okay. I was in the right story. <laughs> Question three. Go on. When the Great Intelligence invaded London with the Yeti, the Doctor devised a plan to, defe to defeat the Intelligence once and for all. 
What was his plan and why did it fail? To defeat them once and for all? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm presuming this is to do with the brain thing he does at the end. Okay. You'll probably have to be more specific than the brain thing. Yeah, well, I've been saving Web of Fear Part 6 and I still haven't watched it. So I'm remembering this from the book oh. or from having watched a recon years ago. Oh, dear. <laughs> does he want to wipe its mind? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that... Yes. And the second part of the question is, why did it fail? Oh, I don't know. Because he... Because uh, its mind is in space? I don't know. No, it's because Jamie saved him. Well, it said because... Uh... Uh, his plan well, Jamie when his thought he believing, was yeah. yeah, and so Jamie so pulled him out of the machine people. before yeah, it was yeah. done, didn't he? Yeah, never mind. Okay, why well, half a point for that? Surely you can have half a point for that. Okay, I give myself a half. You mentioned brain, and that's um, so. Question four: Why did the Kraals want to invade Earth? Why did they want to invade Earth? Mm-hmm. Was it because their own planet was completely radioactive? After an accident. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. It being a Terry Nation story. Yeah. Terry Nation with his, with his plot. <laughs> <laughs> in it, oh, question five. In its plan to take over the world, what was Votan's first step? Linking all the computers? Uh, no. Apparently its first step was to take over the best brains in the country, including the doctors. Oh, okay. So maybe linking the computers came after. Yeah. If it did even, because I'm not sure it did link computers. Or maybe it sending telepathic signals down the telephone line. Maybe that was it. Weird. I suppose it must have linked the computers at some point, otherwise it was only really invading the area immediately surrounding... In that time, linking the computers, how many computers were there? Well, it's not like we have some. domestic computers, so no. the computer was... Well, yeah, the, but there'd be in one the... in major cities like... New York yeah. and Washington and places like that, yeah. I guess. Berlin. And... Okay, oh. so, so question six. In their second attempt... I'm doing really badly. Shall I continue? Yes. Okay. <laughs> question six. Go on. In their second attempted invasion of Earth, the Nestines intended to use plastic daffodils as their main weapon to create widespread panic. How were the daffodils designed to do this? Well, they were going to spray like something to cover the mouth and asphyxiate people. Yes. Yeah. All right. They would suffocate people by spraying an almost invisible plastic film over their faces. Film. That's the word oh, I was looking fantastic, for. Fantastic, isn't it? It's ah, fantastic. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. 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 That's one of the best stories ever. Sort of things you you hope the terrorists today won't think of. Think of. No. Yeah. Just stop them from watching Robert Holmes stories. Question seven. How did the Zygons plan to change Earth to make it suitable for colonisation? Hmm. Well, I don't know. Presumably warm it up. There was the energy conference, wasn't there? Was it something? This, this, is, very specific, this is a very specific answer. Oh, I'm not going to get it then. Okay, shall I read you the answer? Go on. They intended to melt the polar ice caps, raise the planet's temperature and construct lakes in which to breed herds of scarison. That's more so, or less what I said, so isn't they it? Suckle him. You said raise the temperature, but the, 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 I think there was. I, I think was being that, facetious. Do they mention suckling? Do they mention suckling? No, oh. no, no. I, I brought in. The I suckling. don't remember that word suckle being. Well, right. they live off the scarison milk, which was ignored for the more recent ones. 
Did they? Do they Which need? Is... Do they like get their hands on like the side the and need? They them. just attached themselves to the bottom and sort of dangled there <laughs> <laughs> as the Scarrisons walking along the moors. It has to be <laughs> said. <laughs> Terror of the Zygons is a great story, but if you think about any of the concepts in yeah. the story well, for just a second, it's the throwaway like planet building details, like you know suckling on a lactating scarison oh, which is brilliant but you just don't you just have to sort but of put s- it to one side and just move on with the story how do you know if Zygon's feeling insecure he starts kneading with his hands yeah, yeah. how do you know Zygon's kitten. hungry because he's wearing a wetsuit and going for a swim <laughs> um anyway um oh yeah so that's another Zygon question um why was the scarison sent from Loch Ness down the Thames to London to destroy the energy conference, I guess. Is that close enough? It says to demonstrate Broton's strength to the delegates oh, yeah. at an international energy conference. And also, presumably, to give him something to put in his tea. <laughs> Whilst he's there, so he just reach out the energy. Yeah, you've got the to he took a supply, didn't he? Is that a bottle of milk you've got in your pocket? <laughs> yeah, or are you just obvious. pleased to see me? It's like herding geese. Novelty milk tenders. tanker. See, I am um, the I th- main host of this podcast, and what are we? Well, it's up to you. Do you want to well, give yourself a point for that? Because I energy conference. To, it doesn't say destroy the energy conference. It's to demonstrate his strength. Yeah, I don't think and I got think that it's right. demonstrating the Scarrison's strength rather than Broton. Broton's sort of like folded quite quickly. In that. He just stood in the basement and like and strutted, and then he got he got shot. Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. So, during the Yeti invasion of London, who was the great intelligence's main pawn? P-A-W-N. Oh, my God. Now you're asking me something else from episode six. It's oh. from the hole. This is the, the I big, know it's from the, the hole, but you only find out at I the end. that story. And, oh, God, if there's one thing I'm absolutely rubbish at, it's names. Oh, you won't like the next one, then. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, you might do. Oh, if but the weirder won't. the name, probably the easier I'll get it. Okay. Oh, God. No. Sergeant Arnold. There. Um, so the next question is, who was the army officer who hoped to ensure that Earth and Mars would never make any peaceful contact? Carrington. Rank? General. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hey. Yeah, got another point. Like, wow, I've nearly got five points. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so question 12. The doctor foiled in the attempts of the Mandragora to conquer to conquer Earth in the late fifteenth century, when will Mandragora next be in a position to try again? Oh, the late twentieth. Yeah, towards the end of the twentieth century. Yeah. There was a good kind. There was a comic strip about that, wasn't there? Yes. They did a really good mark of the Mandragora. I remember being really excited. And Gary Russell did a book about um, Mandragora. He yeah, the as well. um, really? Donna one. Yeah, um, Beautiful Chaos. Still, oh, I'm still sitting on my shelf waiting to be read. <laughs> I've been meaning to read it. Oh, it's good. I'd recommend it. Yeah. <clears throat> mm. So, question 13. How was Votan destroyed? Oh, my God. You're asking me to remember something about the war machines again. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 15 questions about the Earth in danger and two questions on Zygons and oh, two questions yeah. on the war machines. Yeah. Yeah. How was he defeated? Damn you, Nigel. Did Doctor Who do it? Uh, no, the the war machine is surrounded with that electric field, didn't they? And then they reprogrammed the war machine so that it was a friendly war machine, sent it in through the front doors of the post office tower and up through the lift. And then when it got to the top of the lift, I don't know, did it just shoot Wotan? Yeah, take it with a giant kitten. It says here, a, a group of programmed postmen 
invaded the tower. No, it, it was a reprogrammed war machine. That's what it says here. By, oh, in that case. by a reprogrammed war machine. So you get it. I'm definitely get getting that. Extra points. Well, you don't get extra points. Um, oh, so no, giving no, myself an extra point. Four, it makes no difference whether you think I deserve it or not. Question 14. Mondas was the long-lost sister planet of Earth. Why did it return to the solar system? Because, in spite of that being one of the early stories in which Doctor Who, the programme, actually had a scientific advisor, the science in that story was so shonky that they made up this, and it is probably the most spurious backstory of any backstory in the entire history of Doctor Who. But what reason they gave for it, I couldn't tell you. I think it's a Gaia thing, so to drain Earth's energy, as if Earth is a sort of living thing with some... Oh, well, that's what they were going to do when they got it, but I didn't realise that was why they came back. They weren't piloting it. Why did it return to the solar system? So, so that's all oh, Nigel Robinson. You can write a letter to him. He's yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking him up on Facebook. <laughs> if he's cost me... He's probably... Oh yeah, I, I was almost catching up with Simon, and if he's cost me that, he's definitely getting he wrote, a PM on Facebook. He wrote Birthright, and I really liked Birthright. It didn't have the doctor. Oh, it makes no difference much, whether you liked but it. I really liked Birthright. He's still getting in trouble with me. Okay, he'll be quaking in his wherever he is. So uh, question... that makes Tenth Planet almost a sequel or remake or whatever to the Dalek Invasion of Earth, doesn't it? Oh yeah, well, it's so actually it's piloting, piloting it around. around. I thought yeah. it just reappeared. I thought it was just just wrong. Yeah, it just came back into. Within our yeah, and they because they were back and they were running out of energy. Then they formed maybe what this we plan. what we don't know is the Earth and Mondas are actually eggs of giant space creatures that sort of push and roll the planets around. That could be the explanation. We steal our gloves. Yes. How does a planet just? How does a planet A exist in an orbit that is absolutely? symmetrical with the planet opposite it so that they're always opposite sides of the sun i think that's just about forgivable how does two planets that are opposite each other on either sides of the sun have tectonic plate movements that exactly replicate one another except upside down from one another how does one of those planets suddenly go out of its orbit and off into deep space how do how do the people, well, how does the atmosphere on that planet A stay on that planet and B, even if it does stay on that planet, stay warm enough that everything and everybody on that planet isn't dead pretty much the instant it leaves its orbit. Once it gets off into outer space and it's no longer going around the sun or anything, how are they creating food? How does that planet then subsequently decide it's going to come back into its orbit? How does it actually make it? back into its original orbit and you know how does it stop itself from plunging into the sun when it gets here any answers will do but they could they could have had alex comfort author of the joy of sex instead of kit peddler and then where would it have been i think i'd have paid to watch area <laughs> <laughs> yeah patrick trouton would have come about in a completely different way then he would have question come about in a completely different way <laughs> question 15 <laughs> How did the Doctor hope to prevent a seemingly inevitable war between humans and Silurians? By sitting down and talking about it. By yeah, offering the Silurian... Oh, does it need to be more specific? Oh, no, you can be more specific. It's fun. Well, he was going to offer the Silurians uh, the hot areas of the Earth where the humans couldn't really live. Yes, it says here, by acting as a go-between in negotiations between the two races. Some of the answers to these questions are so 
general, aren't they? Mm. And then some of them are so specific. Mm. Right, anyway, oh, I've got another point you can, for that. You can probably point. go through this book and it would be a really good sort of survey point of what <clears> fans <throat> felt or what was, what was important to fans in 1981. Somebody should do an academic study of this. Well, no, somebody should go back and see what people were saying about it on Facebook in 1981 when it came out. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Okay, at the end of round one, and I'm not entirely sure we're going to get to round two, but nevertheless, we will endeavour so to do. At the end of round one, in the rear, <laughs> I'll say no more than that, is me with seven and a half points. In the middle is Simon with eight and a half points. And fulfilling his function as the front of the human centipede is Matt with 12 and a half points. Simon is very much the meat of this sandwich. Uh, that's what he likes. Mm-hmm. Middle ground. Okay, so now we're going to move on to another phase of this podcast. And hopefully this is going to be a treat for the pair of you. Me having forced you through this terrible quiz. Which ain't over yet. You're not going to do a dance, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not going to do a dance. I'm going to suggest we pause the podcast, sit down and watch this, then come back and talk about it for 20 minutes. Okay. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. All right, we shan't say what it is. We'll have a little bit of tinkly music, and then we'll come back and talk about it in a few minutes. And we've just watched... What have we just watched, Matt? we just watched Curse of Fatal Death. Hey! we just watched... Well, we've just... Prior to this, we just watched what was going to be Stephen Moffat's last Doctor Who story. And now we've just watched his very first. Yes. Hey, well, if it counts. How long is it since you've seen it, Matt? Oh, ooh. Assuming that you've seen it. I had seen it. I saw it when it was first on. And I think I saw it on YouTube. Five years ago, maybe. Okay. So it's not been too long. So you're not that familiar? I'm over not that familiar, familiar with it? No, no. What about you, Simon? Pretty much the same as Matt. Maybe about three years ago, watching YouTube. Just just as a curiosity, really. Had you not seen it before? Yeah, oh no, I saw it when it was on originally, oh, yeah. Right. But I didn't remember a lot about it. Yeah. Rewatching. I've seen Dimensions in Time more than I've seen Curse of Fate. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. I think Dimensions in Time is hilarious. It's not for not, not for deliberate reasons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. The subtitled version on YouTube is particularly good. There's a. Yeah, have you not seen the subtitled version of Dimensions and Time? I, uh, I've. I don't know if I watched all of it, but I've certainly it's seen fantastic. some of it. I've it's seen fantastic. it. Fantastic! It just takes the piss in the subtitles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. Sorry. Well, that's all right. But we here to. Well, okay then. Uh, oh, and for myself, I've seen it about a dozen times. I think. Mm-hmm. So, Simon, what did you think? Well, the thing that struck me more than anything was how much all the elements have appeared in Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who. Yeah, that's kind of why I put it on, really. Big style. So we could sort of... It's like um, continuity errors, the story, the one in the um, Short Trips book he did, mm. where essentially he's written a story. Because this is the thing, I guess, is when... 
it looks like there's no chance of Doctor Who coming back on the air. And if you're writing a story of some kind, like a TV sketch, or like a short story in a compendium of short stories, mm. and if you think this is probably going to be the only time I ever write a Doctor Who story, because it's not like Stephen Moffat was in the New Adventures range. He was um, too busy with his TV stuff. And Stephen Moffat's never been the most prolific of writers. So I guess when he did the short trips story, Continuity Errors, he probably thought this is the only Doctor Who short story I'll probably ever write. So he stuck in quite a lot of the stuff that subsequently he'd gone back to and become famous it's, for. It's, it's like a, a chapbook for all this, a collection yeah. of all the themes yeah, and exactly. the images. And that, and that, more so than Continuity Errors even, that's what the curse of fatal death is. It's it's Stephen Moffat, trope her whatever. His, his preoccupation with sewers. Is that stood out in that first <laughs> in the first episode. The master falls into the sewer three times. I tell you what, just just that previous just this last season, we've had sewers in both Scarrow and Gallifrey, bookending yeah. the series. Sewers have bookended the series. Yeah, the, season, yeah. the series. And all sorts of other things which we'll get into. The mm. thing that struck me first because although I've seen it loads of times, it's been a while. The thing that struck me first was um, production things, that they were using music from the 1980s. Mm. That was kind of, I mean, obviously it's something I probably have noticed before, but I don't think I ever sort of thought, oh, they're using music from the 80s. That was one thing that I immediately thought. Um, First episode and the second episode, well... Another Stephen Moffat thing. The first episode ends and the second episode starts somewhere entirely different. Mm. He's moved it on and just landed it somewhere else. For myself, I thought the second part was vastly superior to the first. I preferred the second part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think for me, the joke of the master falling, falling, and it's it's, it's difficult not to overanalyze, I don't think, but the master falling down into the sewer three times. Yeah. I think... That was funny, but repetitive. Well, in the first bit, none of us were really laughing. No. We were just sort of watching. I was, poli- I was politely chuckling. <laughs> really? Yes. Where, but they, it didn't have canned laughter, so when it was first shown... <clears throat> it had, had laughter, audience, yeah. You could hear yeah. it on the audience, so, and that does... It helps. Makes a difference. Yeah, yeah, it helps you know where to laugh. And well, not only that, it makes you feel comfortable in laughing. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Whereas if you're watching in a room with two other blokes, it's mm. kind of... Okay, that was quite funny, but actually, I want to hear what comes next. I found myself smiling. Oh yeah, but we all laughed much more in the second book. Yeah, yeah. I think also it's only twenty minutes long. I think with funny things, actually, it takes a little while for the humour to get deep enough that you actually start laughing Mm. a lot of the time. So maybe there was an element of that. The first part was. I hesitate to say all set up because it wasn't because it was plot 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 plot, but it the first part was kind of generic Doctor Who, whereas the second part because we all know Stephen Moffat loves to play with Doctor Who, so it felt to me like the first part was Stephen Moffat doing Doctor Who and then the second part was Stephen Moffat playing with Doctor Who, and it's significant then that the second half was markedly better than the first. Because, I mean, that's one of the things about Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who over the last five years is that he's been playing with Doctor Who. And some people have objected to the way he plays with it, but then for other people, the way he's been playing with it has marked his Doctor Who out as 
you know, something a bit different, maybe a bit special, whatever. But certainly that's the thing that Moffat's been doing for the last five years and that this Curse of Fatal Death is kind of, you know, where that first rears its head, really. It's mm. also a perfect fusion with um, the comic release side of getting as many guest stars as, yeah, as yeah. possible with and Moffat's worked out the way a really good way. What struck me was how how good they all, they all were. Yeah, yeah. So Hugh Grant could have been, and he was very close to being the Doctor the, for the Christopher Eccleston Doctor, but he was really taking it seriously. And that's so it wasn't about finding it funny for me. It was about you know you can see how much love and attention. Mm. And in part one, the 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 model shot of Tursurus. You could you could see so some of the special effects you could see they they took from the TV movie or or bits of the series but that that model shot I can't I didn't think it was from the original series I, it was actually really good it was either model or it was CGI I don't know I think it was model but it was really yeah. impressive it was really well done well the, everybody gave a lot of time for this yeah I mean the it's costumes the thing, and everything the, else as well the comedy grew from within. The Doctor Who template, not it wasn't an attack on the Doctor Who template. It wasn't like one of those sketches that also feature on the VHS. No, no. I mean, the, the, I thought the weakest thing in it was Rowan Atkinson. Who oh, did if you? I'm, I'm, if I'm honest, yeah. I thought he was I very good. Really quite... uh, really? <sighs> not bad, but compared to the other actors. Yeah, maybe. But then he had to do all the heavy lifting. Yeah. Whereas they just came in and showed off for a minute. Yeah, maybe it's just his, t- his style of Doctor maybe that I didn't like so much. He just seemed a bit... I, I also wonder whether maybe he was taking it very seriously because he'd always wanted... Mm. This was his dream role. Oh, was it? Really? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Rowan Atkinson was... And he plays it pretty much straight up. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't... He, doesn't... he kind of does the Johnny English thing. Yeah, yeah, but then the thing about Johnny English, God, it's years and years since I've seen that film, is that basically he's the straight man to the comedy going on around him, mm. apart from the, I don't know, as I remember it, there are some kind of Mr. Bean type comedy, physical comedy stuff he does. Mm. But most, mostly in Johnny English, isn't he the straight man and the comedy's sort of orbiting him? Well, he's the idiot who doesn't realise he's the idiot. In Johnny English? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, so he's, he's, as that, you have to play that straight, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. And he plays, he plays this straight. I thought he did. He didn't do any. He didn't do any Mister Bean. He didn't do any no. Black Adder. He played it straight, and he played it as the unconventional hero. Mm. Yeah, but he also wasn't given the the material that the other. The other actors were given. But the others I mean, were he given had, just... He had the plot. Yeah, exactly. The others were That's given, true. given some set pieces where... Yeah. And a lot of, I mean... The others had like four lines each. Mm. But yeah. there were, those four lines were... Yeah, I mean, when you're writing yeah. something like that, you know, you've got to make those four lines killer, whereas you've got to give Rowan Atkinson the exposition, right? Mm. And Hugh Grant had, like, the biggest emotional moment in Doctor Who since... Logopolis, pretty much. <laughs> I think mean, you can go back further than that. Well, possibly. But it's, uh, yeah, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinarily good. Yeah, he, uh, you could, da- well, were there any of those actors playing the Doctor? Obviously, you've said Simon Rowan Atkinson. Were there any of those actors playing the Doctor in the second part then that you couldn't see doing it for real? No, no. Because to no. be honest, Jim, Jim, Broadbent. Jim Broadbent, I couldn't see him playing the Doctor like that. Like that. Yeah, but yeah. Jim Broadbent is a class actor and would be and would have been 
Mm. Fantastic Doctor. Richard E. Grant, I've, I always find a little bit annoying. Oh, yeah, you have to turn down the volume a little bit on what yeah, you're doing. Yeah, but yeah. No, I think. I, yeah, Rowan, uh, Richard E. Grant, I think, would have made a great Doctor, to be honest. Mm. Of course, he did it in Scream of the Shalker. Yeah. Although the character he's playing as a Doctor in Scream of the Shalker is so far removed from. It's sort of War Doctorish. It's kind of is in a way, isn't it? Yeah. An early version. He plays a very dark Mm. version of the Doctor in that. Yeah. In fact, the Master in that is lighter than the Doctor. Is that Derek Jacobi? Yeah. Plays a sort of Master Robot. I've only listened to that once. Master Robot, I think. Master Robot. Yeah. You've only listened to it. Have you not seen it? Oh, it's an animation, isn't it? Mm. I must have only seen it once. I think it came. You may out, have listened to it. It came out at the point finish, where I think when my computer would, couldn't really download uh, right. things very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> yeah, you wait for ages for anything to. But it's on disc. It's very unfortunate. I expect you. I haven't got the disc. No, I think it's worth picking up. It's one of those oddities. I wish yeah. Curse of Fatal Death was on a disc. Cause is it not on a disc? No, that's homemade. You've got a homemade. Oh right, I was fooled. Oh, really? Oh, do you have? Oh, I can oh, see, have... see the uh, VHS static. Yeah, there's... Okay, in. oh, right. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realise that. Oh, no, no, no. Was, that's just a disc taken off the VHS that I've got at home. Of course, Joanna Lumley, there was a moment where Joanna Lumley puts her arm around uh, Julia Suala. And at that moment, it was like, yeah, it could work. <laughs> yeah. Easily. Yeah. I, I mean, apart Far from more the... easily than people probably could. <clears throat> the thing the thing about that bit was she comes out and she does the obvious jokes about being a woman yeah <clears throat> so you don't really get to see what she'd be like with doctorish dialogue mm. because she doesn't really get any no but you get to see her dressed as the doctor mm. and you get to see her this is going to sound silly but you get to see her in a doctor who's set mm. dressed as the doctor with a companion by her side and you're right, you look at it and you don't think there's something wrong with this picture, do you? No, the gravitas is there. The yeah. The dynamic is there between her and the companion. It's what it's what we were saying two two weeks ago, that you're choosing an actor to play the Doctor so long as they have charisma and so long as they're eccentric and so long as they're distinctive, then it will work. Regardless and, of gender. Yeah, yeah. And I understand that women can be charismatic and distinct. I've read that in books. Well, me and so Simon have experienced sure. it in real life. Yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that it would be possible to find a charismatic, distinct person, Anna Maxwell Martin, for my, uh, for my money. Do you reckon that would be my, that would be my choice? I've seen incredible. her in a lot of things recently. She's, I think, yeah, yeah. She's I can in see the what Thor, you mean, There's a Thor Rickman adaptation where she plays a uh, Church of England exorcist. Um, oh which yeah, is yeah, very. It was really good, and, and she was very doctorish. She was very She wasn't doctorish, but but that coupled with the, the things that she's done in the past, she has this sort of range, and she has something distinctive about her. She has a sort of a she's got a personality, and that's what you need. That's the fundamental. And Joanna Lumley's the same. She is charismatic. She's got this kind of. Mm. She was then. She annoys me now. Well, she's sort of parodying herself now. So, well, I only ever seem to see her now doing uh, travelogues and charity things. Well, she's enjoying herself. She's enjoying her new status. It's, mm. it's all good. Yeah, and she she, she reckon- find it. Yeah, but that's the kind of thing I can find patronising. 
she was she but she, I think she's self-aware about it though because she was in a sketch show with David Williams over Christmas which I really? saw a fragment of and she was a big part of that okay and there were sketches where she is playing on the idea of her being a national treasure so I think <laughs> she's aware of these the sort of the Gurkha campaigns and yeah, that's yeah, yeah. fabulous <clears throat> and to be fair when she does these travelogues it's always on ITV so it's pretty hard not to patronise people on there that's very true oh, that's probably why I've not actually seen very much of them mm. <clears throat> Julius Awala Mm. As a doctor, no, as the companion. Oh, as the companion. Oh, we're reviewing yes. the thing we've yes, just yeah. seen as well, of course. Don't forget. When, when um, Hugh Grant was was dying, I was getting does the speech. massive shades of Joe Grant, even in tone of her voice and the delivery and everything. Yeah, really I can Joe see Grant. that. Yeah, yeah. I think possibly it was the the, the way that Hugh Grant was slightly propped up in this kind of Pertwee. So it's the Pertwee death pose. Oh, maybe so. With one leg slightly raised and the, yeah, and the head yeah. slightly propped up. <laughs> So I think that's why I got a similar sort of Pertwee feel mm. to it. Mm. I like Julius Awal. Yeah, she was, she's a very again, good actress. Again, she was taking it seriously. I had, I had a massive crush on her when she was in Press Gang. Oh, really? So, and that's never really gone away. So no, fair enough. She's, she's, you know, my sort of generation. She makes a good companion. Mm. The, the, the true test of, I suppose, anybody who's in Doctor Who is when you actually stick a proper speech in their dialogue and whether they can handle it and you know it's so beautifully written anyway but she delivers it so well the bit when he's dying and immediately afterwards the never cruel and cowardly it's stuff a, yeah another love letter to the show as well isn't it yeah, it's Lots beautiful things to say. it's it's a good companion piece with um uh time crash mm. essentially yeah. They're both played for laughs. Mm. They've both kind of got stunt casting, for want of a better word. Bringing about Peter Davison for a seven minute special or whatever. They're both for charity and they both feature a lot of dialogue, which sums up Doctor Who in a way that you've never heard it summed up before, but which fits it so perfectly. Although I'd say that neither of them are played for laughs. I think that they're actually played <clears throat> deadly serious. Oh no, they're played. Yeah, yeah, no, okay, they're played by the actors deadly yeah. seriously. Yeah, yeah, but they're played. They are the humorous pieces. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And they both involve ridiculous time paradoxes. Mm. I don't find them as funny. I find them nostalgic, and I find them. I think they both are very funny. I still find the the sketches that Mark Gatiss did for the Doctor Who night to be funnier. Really? Yeah, I really I thought they were funny. Uh, well, the, the first and the kid, third one, yeah, kidnaps, but the middle one, no. Peter Davison. Yeah, that's good. Uh, he visits, uh, they pitch for Doctor Who. The pitch, yeah, that's good. That's got cruel bits in it. The middle it's one is the, awful. The, the one where he lands on the planet. Yeah, the one where he that's plays the, weakest, the Doctor. Yeah, that's the weakest one. But the other two, I mean, no, the, the, other the two pitch of terror. Well, on the DVD release, they took out the cruel bits I in know, the first one. I know, I preferred it with the cruel bits and I recorded it from the television. Yeah. And I can see why people would object to it, but it's, it's, that is really funny. Well, yeah, it's only cruel if you, you're the kind of person who objects to um, getting the full results of a poll or something. <laughs> yes. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Shall we, shall we mark it? I mean, it's only oh, it's 20 just, minutes long. one thing I was going to say. Yeah, go the on. Business with the Master, I know we were saying about it, it was a bit of Oh, a... Jonathan Price, not mentioned him. Yeah. Great actor. Probably... Does it just gives it just a little bit too much at points? I thought, but 
Yeah, Jonathan Price is the master. You can't really complain about that, can no, you? The no, hand-ranking no. sausageometer was firing up. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't... I can't remember, but I don't think he was really too aware of Doctor Who. I could be completely wrong. Mm. Uh, but from the documentary, I seem to think he was just basically, okay, right, He's I see what I'm doing He's the only one who here. kind of plays a caricature of, of the character. He does in the first half, and then in mm. the second half, as soon as they have the uh, farting conversation, mm. he brings it right back and actually gives it mm. a bit of um, verisimilitude. Were you, were you about to draw a parallel between the master struggling out of the sewer all, of, all those years and the doctor... Breaking out of the well, in as much confession as, dial. In as much as last week we were talking about timescales where people, mm. you know, uh, fans get uh, get a cob on about, um, you know, the amount of time that passes in the Time Lord's life. And, and there you are. It's there. Yeah, yeah. Hundreds of years at a time yeah. for the mm. sake of a quick joke. But it's there. And it's almost like you can look at Stephen Moffat and, and, and say, well, why has he done that? And you say, you can refer back to this and say, well, there it is. Yeah. Why are you so surprised? Mm. It's all there. There's all sorts of other little things there as well. They're, all the um, looking back on it now, things like I'll explain later. Yeah, are almost like Stephen Moffat saying, uh, "I don't need to f- feel the need to dot the i's and cross the t's. It's not the plot that's important so much as the trajectory that the characters go on. Mm. Things like that you can see and." The way it starts off in that first episode as plot, plot, plot. And then the way in the second episode, the plot is just shoved entirely to one side and it becomes about the characters. Again, that's a typical Stephen Moffat thing in that, you know, he'll give you something like Pandorica Opens, where it's all about the assembly of, on the one hand, these creatures, and then on the other hand, the Doctor getting his team together with River Song and Rory coming back into it. And then in the second episode, it's all about the emotional bond between Amy and the Doctor. I got involved in, a, in an unwise conversation on Facebook. All conversations on Facebook are really unwise. But this one, this one, they'd read the the, the Stephen Moffat bit in the latest Doctor Who magazine, where he yeah. explains, all the, he bits explains in, the plot points yeah. in Hell Bent. Heaven Sent. Heaven Sent. Um, and this conversation on Facebook, they were criticising, or they had a problem with Moffat having to explain the plot points because they were saying, why would he need to explain the plot points if there were, weren't if gaps? There were, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, there's just, and that's exactly what, what you're saying. It just, he, he obviously, he leaves gaps because gaps are more interesting than, than explanations sometimes. Mm. Well, yeah. And they the let other... us fill them in. We're able to fill them but in. But then the other thing is... In a Stephen Moffat plot, you would have to stop every five minutes and have a character basically talking to screen, explaining yeah. what's going yeah. on. When, uh, you know, and he proves in the production notes in Doctor Who magazine that it's all there if you want to see it. Mm. And if you're, if you're, you know, if you're, if you don't want to see it, you can say, oh, it's bad writing. Or if you're not interested in that so much as you're interested in what the characters are up to, you'd rather have a scene every five minutes where something really interesting happens with the characters than if somebody stops and says, right, I'd better tell you what's going on, right? Yeah. So, and the point is that, that these explanations, they're, they're, it's not what Doctor Who does and it's not what Doctor Who's ever done. I mean, someone like Robert Holmes, he lives off these, and they're not plot holes, they're just space 
audience, yeah. for the audience to fill up with their own imagination. And that's mm. how Robert Holmes and Douglas Adams, I mean, Douglas Adams made a career out of, mm. out of creating space for the audience to fill up with their own imagination. And Stephen Moffat's just emulating them. Well, yeah, he's like a hybrid of the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless anybody's got anything else, shall we just give it a score? I don't think... Yeah, come on. It's like 20 minutes and... Hmm. This was just a bit of fun, really. Are we, are we scoring it in the sort of general rankings of Doctor Who stories? Or give, nah, give it a score for how much you enjoyed it. Oh, I'd say, are we doing this in alphabetical order? Well, I don't know, but you seem to be about to start, so go ahead. I'd say 7 out of 10. And go on then, Simon. Um, I think I'd give it a generous 8 out of 10. I th- I'd give it more if I thought it was actually... It's amusing as opposed to funny. Yeah, I'm going to funniest go with thing, that. You know, the funniest things in it for me are the fart jokes, which... Yeah, yeah actually, that's funny enough. Good. I, I think an eight as well. I think because... I think it's essentially a seven up to the last two minutes, and then I think the last two minutes really drags it up because I think some of that stuff right at the end there is absolutely lovely. Mm. And it's no wonder that Stephen Moffat's quoted himself in the programme... Because why wouldn't you when the dialogue's that good? Mm. You know, it's kind of, in a way, it feels kind of wasted being in a comedy sketch. And although, obviously, being in a comedy sketch exists for people to see, only if they hunt it down on YouTube. Do you know what I do remember from watching it the first time is being slightly confused that it was actually treating it seriously. Now I think about it. Because that speech at the end, it was always like, oh, hello, what's going on here? Yeah. You know, why aren't they Why aren't they pulling it apart? Why aren't they taking the piss out of it? And, and the irony that uh, Children in Need, was it Children in Need did Dimensions in Time, which treated it seriously and it was rubbish. Yeah. Comic Relief did Curse of Fatal Death and it was brilliant. Mm. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, that's how the old, the old, Guard and the new guard, that's how they tackled the series in mm. those two different ways. That's mm. the quality of the writing. Absolutely. I think. And yet, and probably more people watched Curse of Fatal Death than watched Ghost Lights or oh, certainly. Curse of Fenric. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Depressing, but no question. Yeah. But in between those two things is the TV movie, which is what said, right, that, taking yourself too seriously mm. and ignoring. You know, the emotional content, for want of a better word, is not what we do anymore. And Curse of Fatal Death looked at the dimensions in time, looked at the TV movie and said, right, if you map the TV movie onto the classic series, what do you get? And Curse of Fatal Death is essentially what you get. Yeah, possibly. Right. did like his waistcoat. Oh, I thought the costume was excellent. Mm. Especially when Joanna Lumley was wearing it. The costume was better than McGann's costume. Yeah. It felt more substantial, less like fancy dress. Yeah, it didn't feel like fancy dress. It just looked like a bunch of clothes that had been thrown together yeah, yeah. and looked doctorish. Yeah. And interesting that he uh, there was that little bit of speech where he says about I found a companion who I find more interesting than the universe itself, which mirrors with Rose, doesn't it? Mm. And Clara, in some ways. Uh, certainly at the mm. end. Not more interesting, but more valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then back to the quiz. No, before we go back to the quiz, I last week I promised two more film reviews this week, didn't I? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll do it really quickly. Shelter, that is. Do you know who Paul Bettany is? Yes. yes. Right. Division, Avengers. Pardon? 
the Vision. Yes, in yeah, Avengers. Yeah. Oh, is he? Yeah. In Age of Ultron, yeah. Yeah. I've not seen Age of Ultron. And he's yeah, it was Mr. Hyde, isn't he? And Ah, uh, League of Gentlemen. No, he wasn't Mr. Hyde. No, that was um, Mr. Hyde was played by the guy who played Vincent Van Gogh in Vincent the Doctor. Oh, really? In League Tony of Gentlemen. Yeah. Was he? Sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, he was an Invisible Man. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> backtrack, backtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. you're right. Simon. God, it's years since I've seen that. I should go back it's to it. It's terrible. Film. He was in Wimbledon. I like. I've got a soft yes, spot for Wimbledon. I, yeah, he was also in. Virtual sexuality, right. which oh. is that film I. Sorry, have well, you seen it? No, but I've thought of another film that's really good that he's in. Well, he's in Master and Commander. That's a brilliant film. And he's in, I think, the one I like best of his is A Knight's Tale. That's that. a good film. Good. It's a, good a film. great film. Despite Robbie Williams, it's a good film. It's um, what's his face as well in the lead role? Um, he's Ledger. Joker. He's, he's Ledger. Ledger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Master and Commander. That's a good film. It's fantastic. I I think Peter Weir, after about Mosquito Coast, started taking himself a bit too seriously. I think that's why I liked it. I think it because it it takes itself too seriously. No, I think it's it's because it takes itself seriously and it doesn't feel the need to have a big battle right in the middle. It has it at the end. The climax is is a battle, but leading up to it, you get cello recitals and you get. Bits about natural history, and it's really <coughs> and it's that's really Paul Bettany, the natural picture, history yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's really picturesque, and it's really yeah, it yeah. Feels, it feels like you're actually there. It's a it's of a piece with the Mosquito yeah, it's Coast a really in that sin- respect. It's a sincere way of presenting history rather than ironic. Kind yeah, of, yeah. It's it's dances with wolves instead of Back to the Future Part Three. It's it's it just feels and that that appeals to me. In that, I can see how you'd find it a bit too sort of dry. Sorry, you were going to present her. Oh, I, I love Peter Weir, though. I absolutely yeah. love his films. But I kind of think with things like Gallipoli and The Year of Living Dangerously mm. was his best period because he was doing serious topics, right. but he's doing them with more of a lightness of touch. Did he do Picnic at Hanging Rock? Yeah. That? Mind you, I think that's overrated. I'm not I think keen on terrifying. that. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, but I... It's... Picnic at Hanging Rock is one of those ones where I think it's a bit too aware of how artsy it is. Hmm. And it dwells a bit too much on the sort of artsier end of it. It doesn't present characters as well. I think there's a fine line between genuinely artsy films that are artsy <clears throat> and films that want to be artsy. And I think oh, this is genuinely artsy. Of, yeah, but like, don't don't look now is genuinely well. Am I right in thinking Picnic at Hanging Rock had a kind of a Nicholas Rogue kind of feel to it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. but came out of Australia. Mm. Yeah, but that was, see, but that's a walkabout. So Nick that's Rogue probably did walkabout, and yeah. and he was very into these sort of ambiguous kind of show not tell. Mm. Mm. But see, Picnic at Hanging Rock to me. I don't get enough of the characters to make it feel like they're human beings. Mm. So it feels like a statement rather than an observation. Yeah. Yeah. But but have you ever seen The Cars that at Paris, his very first film? No. That's just insane. Is that the one that the goodies the goodies parodied? Could be. 
possibly yeah it's so long since i've seen it i just yeah. remember watching it and thinking and this is peter weir <laughs> it's more like i tell you what it is going from the cars there at paris to picnic at hanging rock would be like peter jackson going from um brain dead straight into the hobbit or something yeah without the frighteners in between yeah, yeah. Mm. anyway paul bettany has now directed a film oh called Shelter, which has got his wife, Jennifer Connolly, in it. And it's about two homeless people on the streets of New York. And uh, it's beautifully made. And it, the acting in it is well, Jennifer Connolly. And if you've ever seen Requiem for a Dream, you know what she's capable of. And so the acting in it is astonishing. And the writing in it, the, yes, the writing in it, it basically works. But... I think my issue with it is that instead of being a picture of what life is really like on the streets of New York, it tells a story. You know how when you do like a romantic comedy, everybody knows going into a romantic comedy that there's going to be like, well, essentially a guy and a girl. And the what distinguishes a romantic comedy is the situation, right? It's like a situation comedy what distinguishes it is a situation well here it's like it's obviously it's not a romantic comedy but what i'm saying is here it's about the characters and the fact that they're homeless on the streets of new york is the situation so there's this really weird separation between this sort of really gritty photography of these two homeless people on new york streets and the story that the two characters are telling, which obviously kind of has a sort of downward trajectory, has a basically an upwards and then a downwards trajectory. And so in the end, it kind of, in the end, it kind of felt like awards bait rather than something that was a genuine movie that they'd felt the need to tell. It's like, it's it's got too much plot mapped onto it. It's like if you were going to tell a story about homelessness and really shine a light on what it's like to be homeless, you wouldn't have thrown this much plot at it. So who come in? And it's a it's a really good film, really well made, really well acted, and everything. And you know, I gave it a seven out of ten. But at the end, it was like this could have been a nine or a ten. Does it actually say anything about homelessness in the end? Does it make a point? No, not. not it kind of tries Beyond to homelessness is bad yeah it kind of tries to but it skirts all the issues right and goes so just kind the of accepts that stuff. it happens doesn't look for any answers just it's of... not that it doesn't look for answers it doesn't really ask the questions mm. i mean these two characters are both given such distinct reasons for having become homeless in the first place and you could say okay, everybody who's homeless isn't homeless because they were born homeless. They've all become homeless, so everybody's got a story. But they're both given such distinct stories. And the worst thing of all is that the two stories are deliberately set up to sort of mirror one another. So there's a scene in the middle of the film where they find out what each other's story is. And so uh, there's a, a moment of tension around the way the two stories mirror each other that kind of detracts from the fact that these two people have become homeless. So, what you're are you sort of saying that the subject matter is homelessness, which should be a very raw, no. raw subject matter, and they've actually imposed 
too much storyline. Way too to much make, into it, yeah. To make it a sort of an artifice. So there is, the, the subject matter isn't homelessness. Yeah. Homelessness yeah. is just like a, a subtext. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. a, it's like, like I say, with a romantic comedy, look at, for example, Sleepless in Seattle, mm. where the, the conceit of the story is she meets him through this, uh, is it a newspaper column or something? I got, no, radio phoning. Mm, yes. So she knows uh, his personality, but not what he looks like. Mm. So, that's the sto- so that's the story in Sleepless in Seattle. And the backdrop is the sort of, no, the story in Sleepless in Seattle is the romance. And the backdrop is this conceit about how she doesn't know what he looks like. And in Shelter, it's like the story is these two characters and the conceit, the backdrop, is the homelessness. Mm. It's like it almost doesn't count for anything by the end. And although he does a really good job of putting it up on screen and making it look like it counts for something, in the end it's almost as if it's irrelevant. Mm. So it kind of deceives you into thinking it's about that when actually it's really not at all. And the other film I watched this week for review was called Carrier, which is a really low-budget British film, uh, post-apocalypse thing, which has got some really interesting ideas and is made really nicely, considering the budget, but... It's budget 5p, so so much mm-hmm. Carrier's cost now, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> After the apocalypse, it has some interesting ideas, but then sort of flubs them. The the apocalypse is um, antibiotics have essentially, eventually created a situation where uh, a virus evolves that sidesteps them all together and spreads out into the population and kills everybody off. But that's it. You get a news report halfway through saying that this is what's happened. So there's no investment because that's an interesting idea, but there's no investigation of that idea. And what they, uh, one of the conceits of the film is, rather than it being rage people running around like super fast zombies, the people who've got the infection are still lucid until they die. So the uh, the sort of you know the antagonists in the story are all perfectly lucid people, except. It never uses that to investigate what's going on and have a dialogue about what's going on. So you see at the start of the film, it starts off with some of them being segregated. And it's kind of, that's it. Here's a character who wants to segregate them. And it's never really investigating the dialogue, the rights and wrongs. You've got characters saying, that's wrong. But nobody actually sort of, sits down and you don't really get it on screen why it's wrong or what the alternative is because there is no alternative if these people were kept in the same room as people are not infected the people are not infected would get infected and that is one of the themes of the film that there is this character in the film who because the film is basically about an escape to safety and because it's set it's set in um i think it's a boeing 747 it's set in an airplane they've found this aeroplane, these uninfected people, and they want to escape to a place where it's rumoured the uh, infection hasn't happened, which is Greenland. Okay. So the first half of the film is set in the plane as they're travelling towards Greenland, then they have to set down for fuel, and the second half of the plane is them under attack by the infected on the 
in the airport. But, <clears throat> so so one of the themes is this character who thinks they shouldn't be going to Greenland because, quite patently now, there's infection aboard the aircraft. And if they should get there, if Greenland does prove to be uninfected, they'll be taking the infection there. And so that becomes the story. But I mean, the second half where they have to land and you think it's going to be 28 days later, in the end, it's not. It never really gets anywhere. So the plane never getting to Greenland is a perfect metaphor for the film. It sets up all these interesting ideas, but doesn't really have the budget or the script to do anything with them. I always wonder, with post-apocalyptic dramas, where do they go? I mean, you can't. You can't. You can't. You've got you to leave go it no. This is where Survivors was never going to really end. I mean, Survivors ended with them turning the power back on, but that's yeah. not really an ending. No, that's it's just, a new beginning. That's just a symbolic something. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But like Day, Day of the Triffids. Day of the Triffids is never going to end. I mean, they find the Isle of Wight, but that's that's not really the ending. It's not, no. So and it's that's... a genre where endings don't happen. Well, this is the thing. The, a post-apocalypse story can only end with the uh, survivors of the apocalypse being settled enough to start a new civilization. Yeah. And that's as far as you can go. But I mean, this doesn't get anywhere close. But this doesn't get anywhere close to that. It does have an ending that's fairly reasonable. But the trouble is, it gets to that ending without really having taken you on a journey. But I mean, it's very commendably made. And the acting in it from a bunch of people, some of whom you might recognise, and a bunch of people you won't, the acting in it is excellent. It's very low-key. There's no hysterics and stuff like that. And it's a very commendable film, but in the end, it's a very unfulfilling one. Mm. Right, let's get back to the quiz, shall we? (laughs) Well, I think we should do the second half of the quiz in reverse order of who's got the lowest score up. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think... That's you, Jay, aren't it? Yeah, I'll go first, then Simon, then Matt, I think. That's how they do it on Mastermind, isn't it? I think it is, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, seeing as Matt asked me the questions last time, do you want to do it this time? Okay, yeah. We're right. now in the second Doctor Who. Yeah, we've quiz moved on to the how, second Doctor Who. How many Doctor Who, Doctor Who quiz, quiz books did they actually make? Two. That's what I want. They so stopped. they stopped with two. They decided that maybe. Well, Doctor <laughs> Who was going um, off the boil by the time the third one would have turned up. Yeah. Uh, and are we uh, we are choosing particular adventures of specific Doctors? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you've got to go to the contents page to. Okay, yeah. So which Doctor do you want? Oh, no, you were going to go offer me a choice of two. Oh, am I? Okay. Yeah, we've got only up to the fifth Doctor to play with, but you offer me a choice of two and then ask me a set of questions Jesus. based on... The first. Yes, the first. <laughs> and to be... Yeah, okay, the first and... Bearing in mind I'm coming last. Oh, yeah, yeah. First or the fourth? Oh, God, you see, the fourth is seven years' worth of television. But go on, then, I'll do it. I'll do the fourth. Fourth. should be rich in... The first would be comparable, almost comparable with the because number of stories. Because of the amount stories, of stories, yeah. yeah. Okay. Right, let's just find the answers. Hang on a moment. If it helps, I'll do the first. Well, no, because I'm going to offer you a choice, aren't I? Okay. And if, you, gonna... if you offer me the first, then I will take the first. I will fall on the sword of, of William Hartnell. <laughs> you, were probably, <laughs> you were probably already have won the quiz by the time we get to your questions. That's the point. Let's wait and see. Okay, here we go. Question one. Uh, how many questions are we doing? We're doing 20. Oh, are there 20 in these? 20, yeah. Yeah, okay. We'll try and whip through them, maybe. Okay, we we'll, we'll, won't give much time for answering them. What is the TARDIS cloister bell? And in which adventure was it first used? 
What is it? It's a warning of danger and it's first used in Legopolis. Yep. Okay, okay. there we go. Oh, I better point. start marking these down here. Yeah. Question two. Question new. Who was Organon? Uh, or Organon? It's a Kate Bush song, isn't it? Right, I've got to get that. It's the creature from the pit. He's the one in the... Is it creature from the pit? And he's the one who Lady Adrasta has banished for truth-telling down into the pit itself. Exactly. Season one, yes. Jeffrey Belden. Yeah. 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 Okay. Question three: Which alien species decided to colonize Earth after the levels of radioactivity on their own planet became intolerably high? There we go. <laughs> I think I've had this question already. Yeah. The Krulls. Very good. <laughs> Here's a question. Dave. Where is the planet Diplos? Ooh. Oh. Diplos. Now I have to try and remember the story, don't I? Just trying to think through all the Diplos. Oh, is Diplos right? That is somewhere in the key to time season. Uh, if I'm, if it's the stones of blood, is it in hyperspace? I'm probably getting that wrong. The name of a star system. <laughs> oh, I've got to name the star system. Well, that's what it's got here. Oh, I don't know. Mutter's spiral. In the star system of Talcetti, or Chalcetti. Okay, so also is the locate... that Stones of Blood then, or am I? It, it is Stones of Blood. Says here also the location it's... of Ogros. Yeah, yeah, it's where the Diplos. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's where the Ogri yeah. come from, isn't it? Okay. So I was mixing up. It's the where the lesbian space stuff the comes from. Question yeah. five: What did the Marshmen on Alzarius plan to use as a battering ram against the Starliner? The Tardis. Yep. Oh, mm. nice. Question six. Jackson and his colleagues left their home world some 100,000 years before the Doctor and Leela met them. How had they survived for such a great period of time? Regenerating, thanks to the gift of the Time Lords, because that was Underworld. Okay. Question seven. How did Eldrad gain the power to regenerate? How did he gain the power to regenerate? Mm -hmm. Eldrad, that's a... I can't think. I must have seen the Hand of Fear so many times. I can't remember that ever coming up. He absorbing yeah. radiation. Is it just as simple as that? Yeah. Where did he get the radiation from? Um, in the well, in well, in, initially in well, in the he invades the power station. Numpton, is it? <laughs> well, that's more. Yeah, nuclear reactor. Yeah. So yes, that's an odd question. Question eight, what was the Mordi expedition? The Mordi expedition? Yeah. Is that the first bit of Planet of Evil? Yeah, have I pronounced that right? M-O-R-D-E-E. Must be. They go to the edge of the universe to look for a new power source for their planet. Is that, I mean, is that enough? Is that what it says? Yeah, you're talking about Planet of Evil, aren't you? Yeah. So, yeah. The, exp the, the expeditionary, Yeah, the expeditionary force which colonised the planet on which Leela was, would be born. No, that's Face of Evil. Face of Evil, sorry. Oh, no, so I have got it wrong. Oh, yeah, I've got it wrong. I'll say. Yeah, I always get those two mixed up. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no Planet of Evil. It's a more restaurant, isn't it? Though, don't don't yeah, but it doesn't tell me what oh, episode really? it's oh, from, okay. no. Okay. <laughs> I've changed my mind. I won't do the first Doctor. I'm <laughs> 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 I don't know, that. these aren't that difficult, no. uh, apart from a couple that were... Question nine. Exactly when and where on Earth did the Jagoroth spaceship carrying the last of that race land? Well, it landed 
exactly when and where? Mm. Well, the when is at the dawn of oxygen and everything. The how tight are we going to be? I mean, they give you a time here, so half past nine on <laughs> July the fourteenth. They give a time. Mm. Oh God, four billion is it? No, I don't know. No, I mean, it says here four hundred million years ago in w- in what has now become the Atlantic Ocean. Okay. So is that a yes or no, Matt? No. No. I've got the four. But, but I'm not surprised that it's a no. Yeah. <laughs> I remembered okay. the four. No. I mean, yes. Right, you'll get this one. Number ten. How did the Doctor rekindle the dying sacred flame on Khan? Oh, the little firework. Does it? Do I have to say which one? Is it a Catherine wheel? No, no, no. no, no you no, don't no, have to. No, That's fine. Okay. No, it wasn't a Catherine. Gives us detail either. what happened when it exploded, which. The answers are more elaborate than than they really need to be. Question 11. Who was Colin Thackeray? Well, that's Seeds of Doom, isn't it? Is Mm -hmm. he the one who basically... They've got his title here. Have they? Mm. Oh, God, I couldn't tell you his title. Seeds of Doom. He's the World Ecology Bureau's something or other. Yeah, oh, yeah, you can have that. He's the head of the World Ecology Bureau. Mm. So, yeah, that's the answer. Oh, okay. 12. Who was Professor Theodore Kerensky, and how did he die? Oh, he got turned back into an egg in the machine in City of Death. <laughs> turned back into an egg? Yeah. No, I'm joking, because <laughs> oh, you're the egg man, Simon. Oh, he, got, he got aged to death in yeah. the machine he built for Scaroth the Jaggeroth in City of Death. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, do I... Yes? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was the fate of those peasant youths selected by Orcon? They were drained of their blood by the three who ruled vampires. Is that right? They weren't turned into vampires, so presumably their blood was drained off and stuck in the tanks for the great vampire. Mm, I'm not sure I can tell you. It's the more intelligent ones, such as Adric, became servants of the three who rule. The remainder were fed to the great vampire. Or their blood was. All right, okay. I assume. Well, they could have just been sort of liquidised, possibly. Well, maybe. But it was their blood that was in the tanks, wasn't it? Nutribullet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. Am I having that then? Half a point. Half a point, because you didn't say yeah. about the intelligent ones. Bastards. God damn it. Well, I'm trying to come from behind here. Well, you, <laughs> I haven't got a chance in the next. Anyway. You um, don't know. You might get a nice doctor. Oh, I doubt it. How did the doctor save himself and the TARDIS from being struck by the planetoid in the horns of Nyman? Oh, my God. How did the doctor and the TARDIS. Horns of Nymon. Um, oh God, wasn't it something to do with... Uh, no. Something to do with canine and gravity, uh, maybe. But doesn't he def- does he deflect it in some way? Magnetism or gravity? Or, so what know. essentially did he do? I can't remember. Jesus. He used canine to do something to the thing that didn't... So what did the TARDIS do? It deflected it away, didn't it? Well, it says here he sent the TARDIS spinning off into space like a cricket ball. Did he? Mm. Mm. Okay, I don't remember that specifically. That's not really what I said. Question 15. Name the very mad scientist who was brought up by robots until he believed himself to be one and organised their rebellion. Dask? Is the... But he's... um, Oh, God. Dask is the character he plays on the thing... Oh, 
God, I've completely Ooh. blanked it. Yeah. Taran Capel. Yes. <sighs> What's that from? Robots of Death. Okay. I'm going through all the names of all the other characters and thinking, no, it's not Pool. I, right. I hope diff- I get the pronunciation. Very difficult listening to other people trying to answer questions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you have to get the pronunciation right. Who was Ravon or Ravon? Um, isn't that Genesis of the Daleks? And he's the general they first meet who takes all the stuff off them when they go in. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, I mean, got a general who had doubts about Davros's experiments. Yeah. I can remember the group of Khaled's committed to investigating the production of the Daleks. So, yes. Played by that bloke out of Aloha Lo. Was it? I think so. Guy Simon. I, uh, yeah. I don't one. know Aloha Lo that well. I didn't know he'd been in it. To, to seven, most of the cast of Genesis of the Daleks, I think, were in Aloha Lo or something. Oh, really? Yeah. Aloha Lo was one of those things where, you know, 10 minutes of one episode was more than enough. Yeah. Basically. Question 17. Name three of the consuls of Trakan. Oh, God, I couldn't do that. Well, Tremaz, Cassia. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do a third one. Dennis. <laughs> Dennis, the third consul. <laughs> Trevor. Dave. <laughs> I'm just trying to think if... No, I can't. I can't go any further than those two. So, yeah, as you say, Tremas, Cassia, Siron, Seron, Katura, and Luvik. Yeah, I couldn't have done any of those. So half a point. So. No, you can't get half a point for that. It asks you to name three. You've got to name three to get a point. No, you got two out of three. Well, I've got the two really, really obvious ones. <laughs> I'm not giving myself half a point for getting the really obvious okay. ones. Uh, right, what does the word Melka mean? Oh, my God. Why two questions on Keeper of Loving Tracking? I love Keeper of Tracking. So do I. Yeah. yeah, but you can't answer this. No. What does the word Melka mean? I remember all the stuff about it meaning something, but I can't remember what it meant. Something like happiness or stillness. Or... It's interesting. Go on, what was it? It's a fly caught by honey. Oh, right. Yeah, that makes more sense than happiness or stillness. Um, right, number 19. Who pursued the t- Doctor and his friends through the corridors of the TARDIS? The Sontarans? Do I need to name him? Name one Sontaran. Store. Yes. Nice. Store and a Sontaran trooper. Oh, I could have said a Sontaran trooper. <laughs> <laughs> 20. Who, oh, sorry, what is a Janus thorn? Wait, does it need to be more than the th- the thing that Leela sticks in people that's poisonous that kills them in five minutes from the Janus plant. Yeah. Yeah. A poisonous barb used as a deadly weapon by the Severteen. Yeah. That's close enough, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. There I scored 13 and a half, which together with my seven and a half gives me a total of 21. Right. Next up, Simon. I'm going to give you a choice of the third and the fifth doctors. Just strangely, considering the fifth was my doctor, I think I might pick the third. Okay. Because I think details don't stick with the fifth doctor in the same way. Fair enough. I'll give it a go. The third was quite simple. Yeah. Mm. It, was, it wasn't very... banking up. There's Terence Dix. So There's quite funny. a few thirds I haven't seen, so... <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, this might but not be... Fifth ones that just... This might not prove that easy. No. Okay. No. Okay. Wrong decision. 
I think so, looking at these questions, certainly the first four, not necessarily what comes after. Mm. To which hospital was the Doctor admitted when the Time Lords exiled him to Earth? Oh, let's say St Lawrence's. Ashbridge That's Cottage cool. Hospital. What sort of person remembers this crap? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew that one. I knew that one. But they took the piss out. That was Harriet. What's her name? All right. That was the the, the in joke about she was always trying to save the cottage hospitals um. when she was she was campaigning for prime minister. But did you remember it was Ashbridge? Oh, yeah. Well, well, well. <laughs> Question two: At what alien form of self-defense was the Third Doctor particularly adept? Venusian Aikido. It was. Hey, I got a point. Hurrah! Okay. Question three: Who was Moni, or Moni? It's Moni, isn't it? I honestly don't know. That's Day of the Daleks. That's the Resistance matter? leader who sends them back. I've been bought it from my birthday. I've not yet watched the special edition. <gasps> Question four. No crops grew on Exarius. Why? This is colony in space. Mm-hmm. Why don't they grow? Why don't they grow? Is there a lack of nutrients in the soil? It's, it's a Malcolm Holt story. It's probably the right-wing government that banned them. Yes. It's the radiation from the doomsday machine. It's okay. always radiation. Yeah. Is that the test with radiation? What did, question five, what did Professor Horner believe the barrow at Devil's End to contain and what did it really contain? The devil. He thought it contained the devil and it contained... No? You're not supposed to be helping him. Oh, it contained us all. I don't think you'll get the first half. And I don't think I can give you half a point no, for the no, second no, don't half worry. again don't for the same reason as the Traken question. He believed the barrow to contain the tomb of a great warrior chieftain. Okay, it's been ages since I watched it. And yeah, obviously the second bit's a Zal and his spacecraft. A colony of some 20 Drashigs were to be found in Circuit 5 of Vorg's miniscope. Where did the Drashigs originate? (laughs) What a mighty... (laughs) It's not even looking for the name of a planet. Isn't it? No. I'm just going to tell you because you won't get it. Yeah. From one of the satellites of the planet Grundle. Well, there you go. Oh my god. That's a learning experience. Just wait till I tell you which two doctors you've got a choice of. Where are we? Question seven. Who was Varen? (laughs) (laughs) Dear, this isn't a great... Some of these are going to be easier in a minute. Yeah, go on then. No, I don't know. A Salonian chief who was used by the marshal. That's the mutants, obviously. Oh, okay. That's one of the ones I've seen. I've seen it once. Oh, God, you're not even... Name Professor Thaskeley's two assistants at Cambridge. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Bloody Dave and William. <laughs> Ruth Ingram and Stuart Hyde. That's the Time Monster. Yeah, it's another one I've watched. Oh, God. When you do, though, you'll love those two. I've tried watching For it. all the wrong reasons. On um, oh, some no. streaming thing. But, uh, yeah. Okay, I think it's going to get... Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is me you're talking about. Is this where... Simon wakes up naked in his school going for an exam. That's I'll see, yeah, my teeth fall out. Question nine. This week. Who attempted to destroy the Royal Citadel of Peladon with a sonic cannon? God. No, I can't remember. Do you know? Something like, it would be an ice warrior, so this would be the monster. Oh, oh no. no. It's the monster of Peladon, but it's Etis. 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 Oh. Oh. <sighs> <clears throat> okay. 
Between which two great galactic empires was the frontier in space? Draconian and the Daleks. No, Earth, sorry. God almighty. Yeah. <laughs> you can have that for sure. Sorry. <clears throat> what are the special properties of Axonite? Um, oh, this is not the answer you'll be given. Well, I'm not even sure I'll be given the right answer anyway. Properties of Axonite. It's not a healing property. Energy. Oh, it's an energy source. Is that a... Isn't it an endless energy source or something? Because I'm like Give me a tiny little bit more than that to show me you've understood it and I'll let you have it. Oh, no. No, I can't give any more. Oh, it's not a source of energy. What it does is it takes energy and Converts expands it. it. Expands I thought it made things oh, grow. I was an amplifier. Because yeah. the idea was they would apply it to chickens and get huge chickens or cows. And that was the... Uh... Uh, yeah, but it does that with all sorts of anything. Okay. So okay. they were going to... No, the, the chicken was an example. They were going to use it yes. for energy. Yeah. Okay. But the, the actual answer it gives is it is able to absorb... Can, Absorb, convert, transmit, and program all forms of energy. Mm. But essentially, what it does is it takes something and mm. makes more of it. Essentially, that's what that's what, what we've shown. Bloody time to watch this program! <clears throat> time doing podcasts about it. Here's a question: Twelve. What was so unusual about the core of the planet Spiridon? <laughs> <laughs> Completely the wrong doctor. To... <laughs> Spent all my time watching the new series, to be honest. Um, core of Spiridon. Just, what's the core of a regular planet made of? So it's made of ice, then? Oh, yes. <clears throat> Thank you. That's all right. That's Planet of the Daleks. The ice canos and stuff. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Mm. You're doing a mark. You've got to calm down now and start thinking about the questions. Mm. God's sake, think. <laughs> Sorry. Well, this is what Mark does. If he gets the first three wrong, his brain shuts down. Oh. I spent this afternoon watching a pantomime that was much more my level. How did Governor George Trenchard meet his death? Uh, it doesn't need to be specific. Just say which story it's from. I can't remember what you remember. Names, some rubbish with names. Well, Governor George Trenchard. It's not Terry the Ortons, no. Governor George Ortons. Trenchard. Governor. Not Ortons, Ortons. Ortons. It's not anything to do with the Ortons. How did Governor George Trenchard meet his death? Governor. Oh, is that Day of the Daleks? No, go <sighs> on, go on. Sea Devil, killed by a sea devil. It's 20 past 11 at night, my brain stopped working. All right, let's move on. The Doctor and Joe travel to Orderly House to investigate Sir Reginald Stiles oh, yeah. seeing a ghost. <laughs> what had the diplomat seen in reality? A uh, freedom fighter from the future. Yes. Okay. Uh, arriving on Peladon for a second time, the Doctor was accused by Orton <laughs> of being a spy. Who confirmed the Doctor's true identity as a friend of Peladon? Is Alpha Centauri, hasn't it? Got to be, hasn't it? Uh, where's the answers for this? Yes. Oh, look. Yes. Yeah, bloody hell. Uh, what solution did the Doctor foresee in the conflict between the humans and the Silurians? 
um, that they would cohabit. Right. More specific? That they would take areas of the earth that, that humans couldn't live in. As you because said they were too hot. Yes. See, why did he not give that answer in the first quiz book and he gives that answer in the second yeah. one to exactly the same question? <laughs> Bizarre. He even says he offered himself as a mediator in any possible talks between the two species. Okay. I want the actual word for this. Do you realise, though, if we didn't have the target books, this would be our only source of previous stories? Okay, I, there, are, there are two possible answers to this, and I want the correct one. Okay. Which alien creature has a natural affinity with plastics? I will ask that again before you answer. Which alien creature? Nestings. Yes. Because if you have said the Autons, that would not have been That's the alien no, no. creature. That's a good point. These books came out before videos and DVDs. Yeah, but so people more or less. Never, people is asking questions about things that were oh, on, in fact, yes, it was, wasn't it? Were on like twenty years before, ten years. So before. we're in the target books, then. Yeah, but even so, that's those difficult questions. Right, that was a terrible <laughs> round for you. Yeah, but that was, was just bad questions. Matt, I'm going to offer you oh, bad questions in the first ones. Huh? I'm going to offer you the second and the fifth. Um, I'll go with. Oh, I'll go with... The... No, actually, Simon offered me a choice of two, and I offered him a choice of two, so really it's down to you to offer yourself a choice of two. I'll go with the fifth. <laughs> okay. Well, there's, not, there's there's the fifth, first and second left, aren't there? Basically? No, I was just kidding with all that. Don't okay. take me seriously over anything, please. Okay. I'm going with the fifth. Right. On the, the basis fifth. that I, I prefer the second, but... You don't want to embarrass yourself. Also, the fifth is more recent, so it should be better anyway, yeah? Because <laughs> that's how it works, isn't we'll it? I know, yeah. It's, I'm thinking I should. <clears throat> After, do you want to take your glasses off again so you can pinch no, your no, nose no. and stuff? No, no, no. They'll help this time. After leaving the Pharos project on Earth, why did Tegan and Nissa take the fifth Doctor to the Zero Room? Um, because uh, the Doctor asked them to, but because the Zero Room... Um, isolates him. He was he was suffering from a brainstorm of information, post regenerative information, and it was failing. Regeneration. So regeneration. That's what it asks for. Well, he should have picked the fifth. They might get harder. <laughs> yeah. Because the room is a part of the TARDIS, shut off from the rest of the universe, and its healing properties are extraordinary. Uh, like a nice massage. <laughs> okay, who created Castrovalva? Uh, the master. The answer is, strictly speaking, oh, Adric. Adric. Oh, he got there just in the nick of time. I'll give you that. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah. It says I suppose Adric, the master was using Adric like a tool. It says Adric on <laughs> the master's... <laughs> craft, it says Adric on the master's behalf. Okay, okay. tool for the job. And you gave yeah. them both, yeah. so that's okay. Uh, the TARDIS landed on a paradise planet known as Planet S14. By which other name did the crew know the planet? S14 Diva Loca? Yeah. Matt's walking away with this. No, no, I'm not. I, I'm, I've You've drawn caught up with Simon after three questions. You have 17 <laughs> questions left and you only need to get six of them right. Okay, That's a go, third yes, okay. before you've won. Okay. What is the symbol of the Mara? 
Uh, it's a snake on the arm. It's like a snake tattoo. It's Much like um, just Kirk a snake called. would have oh, done okay. it. <laughs> what is a monopticon? A monopticon is um, so that's from Four to Doomsday. It's it's like a floating, all-seeing eye security camera thing. Surveillance device from Four to Doomsday. Brilliant. Uh, who was Dogen? Dogen was so that's from. A snake dance and he's like a guru that sat in the desert um and did guru stuff in the desert i'm not gonna Shaman. give you that it needs to be a bit more uh, uh, uh he, he balanced he balanced the i don't know it's all buddhist stuff he was a he buddhist was a former director of oh, medusa okay. who became a snake dancer oh well don't give me that then and help the doctor defeat the mara uh, i mean Essentially, what do you think, Simon? No, he's got far too many points already. He's not having that. Oh, way, Jose. If he gets everything else wrong, I'm going to feel really guilty, right? No. He's not going to get everything wrong. I'm sure you'll live with your guilt. Oh, no doubt. I'll have won the quiz. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Question seven. The pterodactyls who came to Earth were escaped convicts. From which prison planet had they escaped? Oh, um... How do you know this stuff? How well, the, the, the tinkl- because they, because they were, <laughs> it was the Tinklanic mines on Raga. Raga. Bloody yes. hell! You Tinklavik. deserve to win. Seriously, coming out of that sort of shit. <laughs> it's because I, I watched, <laughs> I watched this program called Doctor Who on DVD, oh, okay. and it has this information embedded into it. Yeah, yeah. we don't. I'm sure, the, I'm sure the Tinklavik mines on. on we spent too much time talking about it to watch it. I'm sure you mentioned them in the new series as well. Yeah, it has. They've talked about Tinklavik. Question eight. How was the Mara originally brought into being? Oh, um, I don't know. It was dragged from the dark parts of the Simarian Empire's soul or something like that. The Minusans. The Minusans, yeah. Sorry. Created the Great Crystal some 800 years ago. However, they underestimated the extent to which the crystal could absorb such emotions as fear and restlessness. Whoops. And out of these emotions, the Mara was brought into being. Yeah. Nah, you know. No, no, I'm so sorry. Uh, what is the death zone on Gallifrey? Um, it's, it's an isolated area on Gallifrey where the Time Lords would put alien races to watch them fight one another to the death. Yeah, it's about, it gives an answer that's about four times as long as that, but yeah. Okay. Uh, that's going to sound good on the podcast. I don't <laughs> care what it sounds like, uh, you're catching me up. Okay. In fact, it's... I assume oh. the fifth, do- yeah, some of the names of the planets and that, I assume the fifth Doctor questions would be far more intricate and real, like... <laughs> <laughs> Why were, the, you, why were the Urbankans forced to leave their home planet? Oh, I hate Fort Doomsday. Um, was it radiation? <laughs> no, because oh. Monarch, having polluted the planet with his technology, destroyed the ozone layer. Oh, okay. So allowing ultraviolet light to scorch the planet's surface. Ultraviolet light being a form of radiation? Not on this phrase. <laughs> <laughs> Enlightenment falsely claimed that they'd been forced to leave because their son had turned into a supernova. Okay. All right, where I keep looking at the wrong page. What were the plasmatons? 
Some of these are like really odd questions, aren't they? Plasmatons, that's from, so that's from Time Flight, which is terrible. I want the exact words here. Were they a projection? A projection? <laughs> you want the exact words. I get yeah. confused between those and the jelly monsters in the Three Doctors. Right, it's basically the same thing. The same thing. thing. Um, they were projections of the mind of, okay, what were they? Protein agglomerations. We're, we're, created by the master on prehistoric earth. Aren't we? <laughs> but you mean they're uh, meat? <laughs> well, they're meat not. Um, it might be about a block sink upstairs. <laughs> they're not projections, then. Okay. No, no. Oh, I got it wrong. It was the projections. Was the but stuff basically at the end what it's saying the... was they were they were creatures made out of meat. Yes. Hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah, yeah, like in Chelsea. Just how many no, questions have I got left? Think about that. How many... Well, you've got to get another two points. No, hang on, twelve. One point. Nineteen. No, you're on nineteen and a half. You've got to get past two twenty-one. Points. So okay. you need two points. Yes. And you have nine questions. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Fine. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's fine. Carry on, General. Uh, how did Mordrin and his company hope to achieve eternal life for themselves? What went disastrously wrong with the experiment? Okay, so um, I want the exact words again. Oh God! So they um, so <laughs> we're, we're talking about Mordrin undead, mm. and their plan was to to borrow or steal the Doctor's regenerations. No, you got it. Ask about face. No, they, they want That's to, how they wanted they to, die. to die. Okay. This is asking the premise. Oh, so originally, so mm. they they, um, well, it was they they basically gained permanent regeneration. They were in a permanent regenerative state. Uh, no. That well, it was a two-part question. Oh. Uh, how did they? So that's where it went wrong. Yes. Okay. So, uh, well, that's kind of how it went wrong. It wasn't a permanent regeneration. It was a permanent mutation. Right, okay. But the, they had used a modified metamorphic symbiosis generator, which they had stolen from Gallifrey. Okay, now the questions are getting slightly harder. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but they're not all going to be like that. Okay. Um, who was Taylor? Who killed him? Who killed Taylor? Yeah, but don't worry, you've got easier ones to come. Um, okay, I'm going to say, I'm going to guess, I'm going to say that sounds like something out of something like Planet of Fire. Right, I'm going to stop you there. A okay. colleague of Daemon on Gallifrey, he was killed by Councillor Heading oh, okay. using an impulse laser. Oh, right. <laughs> so that's what Ark of Infinity is. This is sound it made. <laughs> Who were the Vanir? <laughs> Impulse, who were the Vanir, the named Vanir. their leader when the Doctor and his friends first met them, and who succeeded him? Hang on, what? So I've got to say who they were, yeah. who their leader was, and who replaced him. Yeah, you're not going to get this, so <laughs> I might as well just say it. The, 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 the Vanir is the dog the dog creature on Terminus. No, 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 no. Isn't it? No, the dog creature was the Vanir's... Pet thing. Oh right, okay. I'm, the Vanir were the people who. I'm not going to get this. No, the Vanir were the people who were running the place. I'm not going to get this. I'm not even sure I'm interested in the answer. <laughs> uh, some somebody listening to this okay. podcast might be. 
Slaves people employed still be listening. <laughs> slaves employed by Terminus Incorporated to nice. oversee those afflicted with Lazarus' disease on Terminus okay. and deliver them to the Garm. Okay. That was a dog creature. Oh, yes. Their leader was Irak, who was succeeded by Valgard. Okay, I didn't get that one. <laughs> and I think that's to my credit that I don't have that level of detailed knowledge. <laughs> right, this one. Okay, who was Shardavan? <laughs> You've got six questions left, including okay. this. Shardavan was was he the librarian on Castrovalva? Yes. <clears throat> Where on Gallifrey was Rassilon's tomb located? Uh, in the Death Zone, in the Dark Tower, in the Death Yes. Zone. And that's it. Matt has now won the quiz. Wow. Excellent. Uh, but you've still got four questions okay, left. Just ask me the four, just to see how much I've won by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to do impo- that. It's important to me. I was going to do I, that. And then what I'll do is I'll go out and get a girlfriend, <laughs> which, which <laughs> I, obviously I've, I've I failed don't to do think that's going to happen. The whole of my life. Uh, 17. Which will confuse my girlfriend. She's listening, but she won't get this far. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Question 17. Where did the TARDIS... Well, it's just interesting that he thinks somebody of the fair gender is ever going to listen to our podcast. Mm. I, think, I think the fair gender... <laughs> I'm obviously being sexist here and I don't believe a word that I've just said. from the 1950s. <laughs> no, but Simon did and I said it for his okay. amusement. <laughs> Question 17. Yes. Oh, this is an interesting one. I've not seen the answer yet. I don't think I could answer it. Where did the TARDIS materialise... In the year twenty five twenty six. Okay, twenty five twenty six. Where did it materialise? Oh, <laughs> on that. I don't know. I don't know. Hang on. No, I still don't know. It's Earth Shock. It's the oh, okay. Earth. Is the I don't like Earth Shock. It's the tunnels. I don't. I, I don't get on with Earth Shock. <coughs> no. What is the function of the wind chimes on Diva Loco? Um, it's they're a, they're a kind of a focus to protect people from the Mara. An aid for meditation. Yeah, to protect people from the Mara. Mm. Yeah, all right, Matt. You tell yourself that. <laughs> in the Kinder's communal sharing of minds. Oh. I, I thought you were going to say in the Kinder's communal showers. Then, for some reason, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know where my mind went. 19. Where was the Doctor intending to take Nyssa and Tegan when the TARDIS materialised in mid-air above Heathrow? Oh, um... Was it, normally he was trying to get Tegan back to Heathrow. To the Great Exhibition of 1851 in Hyde Park. That's ironic, isn't it? Yeah, I'll say. Oh, hang on. I've... Oh, here it is. Question 20. What is the flesh time? Uh, the flesh time... Hang on. Isn't that from Full Circle? No, it's from Fort Doomsday. It is, because oh, yeah. the Urbankans are no longer still physical bodies. Right. Flesh okay. time is when oh, they okay. were. Okay. Enlightenment describes it as the time of the chicken pox, hunger and heart disease, arthritis and the common gold. Nice. So there you go. It's January. In the end, you have won by that half a point. Well, I never. very generously gave you in the far first close, round. Far closer than I thought it was going to be. That's right, isn't Good. it? 9 and 12 is 21. Yeah, there you go. Oh, wow. That was, again... Well, in that in the, in the first half, 
I don't know, Matt, was your round easy in the first half? I, th- I think, um, well, it's a mixture, but I did get some some easy questions. I can't remember what. But in that second half, I had yeah. by far the easiest set of questions for the fourth Doctor, didn't I? Because you both had pretty tricky rounds. Anyway, there you yeah. go. Simon on 15 and a half, me on 21 and Matt on it's 21. Is inter- and it's interesting for me in as much as uh, the, the Companions round, I knew quite a lot of that. So it just goes to show I latch on to characters. Mm. Quite heavily, yeah. As opposed to kind of story detail, and they're uh, just funny old books, really. It aren't tells they? me which yeah. stories I need to rewatch, or not need to rewatch, but I should. The mutants. Well, no, Tell I think it's... it tells you which stories you should definitely avoid. I, I remember liking the mutants. I've got, really? Um, yeah, I've got a soft spot for mutants. I got yes. to the end of the mutants and thought, actually, that's right. Yeah, but you've never gone back to it. No, no <laughs> that says as much as you. I mean, it's okay, it's enjoyable, but it is rubbish. Right, I'm calling it a night then. Mm. So we're we're, um, we're off next weekend, aren't we? Somewhere. Yeah. Are we saying on here or not? No, because people will find out when we do the podcast next week. Oh, okay. Because cool. presumably next podcast is just going to be us talking about it. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so there'd be a little surprise. And the week after that, we'll get stuck into uh, Series 4 with the Doctor... I nearly said it again, the Fourth Doctor, the Tenth Doctor and Donna. Series 4. Okay, so until next week, which again is going to be a surprise then. I was JR. I was Matt. Thank you for coming, Matt. My pleasure. I was Simon. Don't thank me. Sorry. And we'll speak again soon.